Hello friends, my guest today is Jason Lum. Jason is a father, husband, Chilliwack City Councilor, Chair of the Fraser Valley Regional District, Director of Business Development for Myriad Corporation, and an incredible community member. We are doing something a little bit different to start this episode off. On March 21st, the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic. But it was also the day Jason Lum and his wife Sheila welcomed their child, Cedar Jeremiah Lum, into the world. Shortly after, Jason chose to share the news on Facebook. The message is a few months old, but the sentiment remains the same. Please give it up for my guest, Jason Lum. So I, like many of you, have spent many recent nights awake, anxious, and worrying about the current situation. For the first time in my life, I worry about the future as I have never worried before. For the first time in my life, I'm worrying as a parent. I knew that it would be anxious about uh, the regular stuff, baby stuff. Neither Sheila or I thought we would be welcoming our first child into the world on the day that the WHO declared a viral pandemic was spreading across the globe. So there's that. Fear and worry can be motivating behaviors, but they can also be extremely unhealthy and debilitating. Fear pulls us apart from each other. It makes us suspicious. Fear makes us act irrationally. It makes us obsess over social media for hours on end and hoard toilet paper. It's easy these days to succumb to fear and worry. But there is much more than fear and worry. As I sit here with my two-week-old son on my lap, smiling away thoroughly unconcerned about anything but when his next meal is coming, as I listen to my neighbor's uh, girls rollerblading around the front driveway laughing and playing, as I check the new growth and the seeds I planted a few days ago stretching towards a sunny spot on my windowsill, I realize there's much more than fear and worry. There's hope, there's persistence, there's new life and new growth, and there's community. And with all these things comes a responsibility to act, to protect what we have and what we love. This is where I know the people of Chilliwack will step up. I'm sure of it. You already know what you need to do. Keep your social distance, cough and sneeze into your elbow, something we're still trying to teach our baby boy who likes to sneeze right in his dad's face. Practice excellent hand hygiene. Stay away from crowds. Only buy what you need from the grocery store. Take care of yourselves and your neighbors. Most of all, keep following the advice and instruction of the medical professionals who are working incredibly hard to keep us all safe. Although this isn't really the way I had envisioned announcing the birth of our boy, Cedar Jeremiah Lum, born in the Chilliwack General Hospital, 6 pounds, 4 ounces. I look forward to telling him the stories when he's older about how the people in Chilliwack stepped up and took care of each other in tough times, and he will be proud, like his dad is, to live in this place with all of you. Stay safe, stay smart, stay connected. We'll get this through this together. Your City Councillor, Jason Lum. And we're live. Mr. Lum, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Would you be able to start with a brief introduction? Sure. My name is uh, Jason Lum. Jason's just fine. It feels weird to call me Mr. Lum, but uh, yeah, Jason's just fine. I'm a city councillor here in the city of Chilliwack and the chair of the Fraser Valley Regional District. Well, I'm hoping we can start off just with the political side and get a better understanding of what it's like to live a life in your shoes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I don't think it's uh, as dissimilar as, as uh, you know, just a regular person living life here in the city of Chilliwack, with the exception is that uh, 
uh, every uh, every week or so. I'm involved in uh, some sort of uh, meeting or committee meeting or council meeting, uh, making decisions around uh, items uh, in the city of Chilliwack. So uh, mostly land use decisions, but also decisions around all the many different uh, services offered by the city of Chilliwack. Yeah, so you obviously have a large support from Chilliwack. Obviously, you were elected to your position and you educate people and bring people together. Obviously, we just discussed a little bit before the podcast um, some information you put forward about your, your child being born and about the COVID pandemic. And to me, you are an excellent example of a role model. Some people don't like politicians, but I think that when you get more local, when you get more community oriented, those individuals can really lead by example. And I think that that's something you've been done really well throughout all of your terms. You've been a city councillor since I was in like high school, grade 10, and I've had the opportunity to watch your career progress and never any question. I've never heard a bad review of you. And you've been able to lead by example throughout a lot of different circumstances throughout the city of Chilliwack. And so I'd like to start off with more of the Chilliwack side of things and what that's been like in terms of the development from where downtown was to where it is now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. It's very flattering uh, of you to say so. And I think... Um Doing this work, it's, it's not, uh, again, like it's not dissimilar to any of the other important work that people are doing in the city of Chilliwack or the region. But uh, you get a little bit of an opportunity to get involved in a lot of different things. And so the redevelopment of downtown was something that uh, um, I had the opportunity of getting involved with back when I was uh, the, involved with the Chamber of Commerce. Even before I was on council, I was asked to join a, a downtown redevelopment task force at the city of Chilliwack. And, uh, we put forward some uh, some recommendations. One of which was to assemble some uh, some land that was in the downtown, try and package it together, and um, and um, offer it for sale to the development community and see if we could attract some developers to to take a look at kind of re envisioning um, some of the more challenging spots that were downtown. Obviously, there's a few bumps uh, um, along the way. Uh, like anything, there's some uh, pretty challenging, there can be some pretty challenging things to overcome when you're redeveloping um, in an older uh, part of town. And that was really one of the more established areas in Chilliwack. But uh, what's happening there now, so fast forward, uh, I don't know how many years, more than 10 years now, um, we've got a attracted a, a very viable local de- uh, developer in the Alger brothers. And uh, they took on a project of, a, you know, a, almost one square uh, city block. And um, they did uh, kind of a mix of retaining some of the uh, the old, older established uh, buildings. And then they're building some new uh, buildings and a mix of different, um, a mix of different uh, commercial, residential, uh, multifamily. And, um, and I think it's going to be great. Um, it's it's really exciting. I was down there uh, a couple of days ago, and there's a couple of new restaurants coming, and some uh, brew pubs, and some neat uh, small retail and shops, and a really really nice multifamily uh, building that's uh, popping up there. So yeah, it's going to be uh, 
It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it's hard to tell the downtown now from when I went to school at CMS and I had to walk to school. And the changes that are coming are so positive in comparison to where we were, I feel like, 10 years ago. And I feel like the community is really pulled together. And it just there feels like there's a different type of energy within our community when we're talking about downtown than I think when you may have started, where it was pretty doom and gloom. And there wasn't a lot of positivity about the idea that downtown could be anything other than what it was at the time. What was that like for you trying to to tell developers and community members that uh, we're not done yet. Yeah, it's a it's a um, a bit of a mix too because you know things that I always said even back ten fifteen years ago when I was talking about downtown is we have to be we have to be careful that we don't kind of contribute to the, the stigmatization of you know downtown and the way we speak about it and you know it was very there was a lot of doom and gloom kind of attitude about the downtown and that's pretty discouraging when you have businesses that have existed down there established businesses that have existed down there for many 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 years and so to keep talking about the downtown always in a kind of negative context it doesn't do anything to help uh, promote um, people coming down and and um, and sh- uh, shopping at uh, at the businesses that were existed there even before the redevelopment that was happening so it's trying to find a balance of um you know, talking about places that we could incrementally improve in the downtown, but also um, to acknowledge that there is a thriving community that exists in the downtown. And, and part of the best, one of the best ways that you can support it is to go down and, and, and shop, you know, <laughs> buy things, make that a choice, make downtown a destination, you know. So whether it's, uh, you know, it's going to the bookstore or the shoe stores or the record stores or, you know, any of the uh, clothing stores or art galleries or that kind of thing. You know, you can make that choice and you don't have to wait around for uh, government to tell you to do it or uh, redevelopment or a developer to come and knock everything down. I was really adamant about that um, for uh, many years. Again, that, you know, I used to hear people say that the only way to fix downtown was with, you know, a D9 cat and to bulldoze, bulldoze the whole place to the ground. And I, I adamantly disagreed with that. I think, um, you know, there's a lot to say about preserving the the heritage um, in uh, in Chilliwack, and there's a lot. Um, if I just wanted uh, to go and and look at um, you know brand new kind of template uh, uh, boring uh, construction, then you know I could go any other city around. But if you've got some unique things to preserve and to uh, build on and to reincorporate into uh, some new development. I think why not take that opportunity? And I think that's what the algorithms are doing. And I think it's what's making the work that they're doing unique. But I also think that there are plenty of good examples of that in other parts of the of the downtown, whether it's Wellington, Mill Street, all around on Main. So Yeah, I definitely think that that is a a good point to bring up because you did see the Paramount come down and you were the only one who voted against demolition, which I think is something to remember now when all of this is coming together, that the what you voted on wasn't as much just to preserve a building, but it was to make sure that your stance was known, that you are supporting the, the alignment of both old and new and to bring that together. Like, the Royal Hotel is such a valuable part of the downtown because it it tells a 110 year old story. And 
I think you did a very good job of that. I listened to the Around Chilliwack interview you did, and that was a few years ago now. But you were talking about public safety as one of the key components of addressing this. And I think that that's an important thing to understand is your role as city councillor, you kind of balance different concepts, which is one, public safety is obviously key, but also there it's an in individual responsibility to go and support the downtown and try and revitalize that. And that is where people will be like, well, can you fix the downtown? And it's like, well, you can, you're just as much involved as yeah, I am. Can you fix the downtown? Yeah. yeah. Or you can fix the downtown. You know, that's the thing. You can fix the downtown by going and, and, and helping and, and doing your part and uh, making that choice, whether you're going to eat at a, at a restaurant the next time or you, where you're going to shop, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's empowering people to make that choice too. The Paramount obviously was a, was a one that I'd love to have a do-over on where I'd, I'd love to see, um, you know, I, I thought about that decision for many, many years. And the thing that I really regret about that is I didn't do a good enough job of convincing my colleagues to uh, to support retaining that building because I still think um, in the context of what's happening in the downtown right now, to have uh, an opportunity, another kick at the can to kind of revitalize that, whether, whether uh, it had life as a, as a theater, um, but as something else, just to re-envision or to, to turn it over to a developer, like uh, whether it be the Algras or, or another developer, to, to see what kind of life they could breathe back into a building like that. Because once they're gone, they're gone, right? You never you never see them again. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I was brand new counselor at that time. And, um, you know, I think that was the very first, one of the very first decisions where I had kind of broken with... Uh, the rest of, of council and, and really, you know, had kind of felt in my heart that it was the right, the, the, the wrong thing to do to, to, to vote, to, to tear it down. But um, the interesting thing about that is to kind of pull your socks up and try and figure out a, a better way later on to help make a more compelling case to, to, to the, your colleagues uh, when you're, when you're voting on that. And we had an opportunity to do that later when we were looking at, um, you know, um, voting on the, the algorithm development and the retention of some of those buildings. So, yeah, I really liked that because even throughout, I was very young at the time and fighting for something I didn't really understand. I still have some of your emails to me, actually. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Like, I keep, I keep almost all the correspondence that I ever get. So, yeah, yeah. I hope they're good. Probably oh, yeah. lots of spelling no, mistakes no, now. That no, I they're them. great. Okay, awesome. Well, I do think that what happened back then was so amazing for me because it didn't feel like city council was trying to discourage what we were trying to do. It was just that you guys were in a rock and a hard place of what other options, like you guys need to come to us with a plan and a solution. And if you don't have one, unfortunately, there's nothing left we can do. But it didn't ever feel like city council was like, anyone who's supporting that is is being silly and um, they should just stop. It did feel like you were hoping that something would come out and something would be able to change about the decision that was made. And so I really appreciated that. But in the Around Chilliwack interview, you also said something really interesting. And I just, I really want to hear your thoughts on it because you said, I'm a part of, I think, a seven person team when you're working with council. And yeah. I think that that's probably the best way to look at it because often when we're voting we're trying to choose the best person but it's also about building the best team to address the issues that we want as a community and so i'm wondering if you can just touch on that and tell us a little bit about what your seven person team is like now sure yeah i mean um i've, been, I've had uh, the good fortune of being uh of being able to work with a lot of really uh, really, really good politicians, good community leaders. Um, I work now with uh, two different mayors and um, 
a whole host of uh, different uh, counselors and all who brought different uh, skill sets to, to the table. The council that we have now is excellent. I, um, you know, the uh, camaraderie around the, the table is uh, really, I mean, I hope it's evident to people that, that watch it. If people actually watch council meetings, I don't know if they do, but uh, um, I shouldn't say that. I know there are people that, that do. Um, and you can see that, you know, it's a good mix of people. We don't always get along and you don't have to, nor should you want a council to always get along. I think you want to have a little bit of tension there where people push and pull and, and disagree and, and debate. And that's, that's our, our role. We, uh, we've got a mix of, uh, let's see. So, um, Ken, so, uh, Ken is the mayor. He's been on Kim and I, um, were elected to council at the same time back in 2011. And we got, uh, Sue not. So Sue's been, uh, she's served the longest now on council. And, uh, so she's the longest serving counselor, uh, um, right now on this council. And she's done quite a few terms. I think goes back to almost two, I think 2008. So, wow. yeah. So she's been on and, uh, Bud Mercer, who, uh, he's been, uh, uh, fantastic. He, obviously, a, a background in uh, public safety as a, a RCMP uh, superintendent, and um, and I actually worked with uh, Bud a long, long time ago when I was working for the city of Chilliwack. So he definitely has a mix of uh, skills from the you know operational side, but also uh, working as in the governance side. Council uh, Chris Clute, who's uh, been on council for again a uh, number of terms, I think two now yeah. i think and uh, he's fantastic a uh, very agriculture focused and yeah. he's a farmer and uh harv uh, westring who again he's a new he's a new um counselor um and harv comes with a whole host of uh experience and uh from the development community and he's also a counselor as well and um and really does his homework and uh good guy to have at the table jeff shields again came from background uh, working with the chillock economic parks corporation works with some bit uh is, is a cfo of a large uh, company here in chillowack works in manufacturing great another great guy to have around uh, who am i missing is that seven i'm counting i think we're I good i think we're good yeah. yeah so yeah the team is fantastic and they all we all challenge each other and we all have a good well, i think i can speak pretty uh openly that you know my colleagues would agree that we're this is a good this is a very good group you know high very high functioning council and uh and fun to be around well it definitely shows because one of the things you also touched on in that interview was the development from Yarrow all the way to downtown Chilliwack of trying to bridge those divides and have a road like a driveway that you can go all the way from one side of town all the way to the other and I think that there have been significant developments since that started the bike path oh, that yeah, goes all the yeah, way along sure so. yeah the uh, valley rail trail yes. yeah 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 no that, that's uh, that was an exciting thing that um, we worked on as council for the last cu- uh, couple number of terms and um you know, we're piecing it together because it involves bringing a lot of people together, um, who, stakeholders who are involved with the, with the uh, acqu- just acquiring the land or the rights to utilize the land and build. So you're working with the, the railways, you're working with BC Hydro, you're working with their legal departments and their right-of-ways and stuff. All the exciting stuff you're going to do as a lawyer. And um, just uh, getting the opportunity to be able to use it to, to build on that land, to build the path. So 
we've been pushing through. You can now go north-south from, I think, uh, just around Sardis, cross the highway, just uh, over the, we cantilevered a bridge off of the uh, the train the train bridge that crosses the highway there by Lakakak, and we go across, and then uh, you can get all the way to uh, just past, I think, to uh, Hawking now. So all safely and all on a separated uh, multi-use path. So the goal is to push that right into the downtown going north and then south to eventually carry it on all the way to uh, to Yarrow. So That's such a good yeah. idea because it really does unite the community in this ability to, because I do see people riding their bike, but it's usually on busy roads. Mm-hmm. To be able to have such a connector is where I think that city council really shows that they know the community and they understand what the community wants because I didn't, when I found out a bit about it, it was like, that makes absolute sense, but I didn't have the idea. And so when those things can happen, it really does show that uh, the the city council is leading by the best ideas. And I think that that's really important to be able to say and for other people to be under, able to understand and hear from you in that way. So the other thing I wanted to ask about was what has it been like to work for Fraser Valley Regional District? Because that is something where I don't think many people understand what that is. When I just say FVRD, I don't, most people don't know. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So the um, the Fraser Valley Regional Dix- District is uh, one of a number of regional governments that are set up across the province of British Columbia to um, provide local government services to areas that exist outside of um, uh, incorporated municipalities. So they also include municipalities, but they include what's called electoral areas. And we have eight of them. So um, areas that would we um, that would exist outside of the city boundary, but still require um, the same kind of local government services like sewer, water, garbage pickup, that kind of thing. And then they also provide regional governments also provide a, a number of regional services where it makes sense to to work together as a region rather than to recreate individual services all across each municipality. So we have things like regional parks. We do uh, things around uh, regional regional uh, uh, um, waste management. We do things around uh, mosquito control. We do things around, um, dog, uh, licensing and animal control as well as regional parks, that kind of thing. So there's a whole host of, um, of, uh, government services that the FVRD, um, offers. And so we are one of the largest, um, uh, geographical, we're one of the largest, uh, um, regions in the province. We stretch all the way from west of, uh, Abbotsford, kind of Alder Grove, right against the township of Langley. And then we go all the way past uh, uh, Hope up to through Boston Bar into the canyon. And then we go all the way east almost uh, to uh, Manning Park. And um, we go kind of uh, northwest, kind of pushing right up against the squamish Lillooet Regional District. So uh, it's a huge geographical area. And um, in some places, you know, we only have, uh, we're providing services for, um, you know, a handful of, of residences, but um, they still require those important, you know, uh, some of those important government services. From my position as a board chair, there's we have 23 um, board members. So it's like, I, I explain it like being a mayor of six councils at the same time. So we have uh, 23 different people sitting at the, the table. They represent, they're represented by the uh, eight electoral areas. Each uh, electoral area has their own um, elected director. 
and then the municipalities um, have um, representation which is uh, assigned by uh, in a weighted manner by um, population so the city of Abbotsford will have a number of directors the city of Chilliwack has a number of directors Hope uh, Harrison Hot Springs District of Kent Mission they all have uh, um, regional directors so in some cases it's um, the mayors and a couple of councillors who are appointed to the table and um, and it it essentially functions the same way as a, as a large, large municipal council would. Yeah, that is so crazy. So one of the things I was thinking about when I was driving, preparing for this interview, was you have such a vast amount of space that you help govern. I wouldn't say that you govern it, but you help govern so much space. Does that ever weigh into your mind like you're driving through Harrison or something and you're like, I play a small role in like the makeup of this community and how the roads are built and how the sidewalks are maintained sometimes? Like that just seems like a lot of responsibility. Does it ever pop into your head as just a simple concept? I mean, no matter what, for me, no matter what I'm involved with, whether it's with the city of Chilliwack or whether it's with the FERD, I, it's hard for me to kind of switch my brain off when I'm driving through any of those communities. I'm always looking at the different projects and the different things that are happening. And, um, most of the time it's usually, uh, you know, you're very, very proud of the, the work that's going on or you're wondering what, you know, if I see a building being built, it's nice to see those projects come to fruition because we see them come across our desks and a lot of times, you know, in the planning throughout the planning and development process. And so, it's exciting to see it that way. You do feel a sense of uh, a sense of responsibility because we don't always make all the right decisions either. So, like I said, there are do-overs. So when I drive uh, in around certain places and I see projects that uh, I think you know perhaps didn't or vote the the results of votes that probably didn't go the the way you wanted to. You know, I wish again, like I wish there are some uh, that we could do over again. And you, you, in my mind tends to wander back to, to, to saying like, well, what, what could have, what could have been there? But this is the joy of working in local government is that you're so close to the decisions. Um, you and, and the decisions, um, and the projects turn over and, and happen at a pace much, much faster in a lot of cases than a lot of other orders of government that uh, you really get to see the result of some of your uh, decision making, whether it's good or bad. So yeah, you're, I'm, for me, I'm always evaluating, you know, kind of keeping a running tally of the, the things that are happening around. And yeah, you, you feel the responsibility and just try to do your best. That seems like such an important thing for people to start to put into their own lives, because I do think that we're in a point in time right now where people are less accountable and taking less responsibility for their community. Maybe not Chilliwack, but as a culture as a whole, I think we're passing the blame to government officials way more than I think we should because you're driving around and seeing these things and saying like, hey, I might have preferred it be this way. Or just even having that thought in your mind is something that we should be doing as a community and, and giving more of our voice because Another thing you mentioned in that one around Chilliwack interview was the lack of voting and the mm. lack of turnout is huge. And But all the people who don't vote still have their opinions and still complain on Facebook and Instagram. And so that's where I see that divide between that sense of community responsibility. So what are your thoughts on that as we just had another election a couple of years ago on how that's developed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's always been a kind of something that's uh, bothered me is the the, the lack of participation in, uh, in especially the local government elections. And uh, I said this like a long time ago. This is, I don't believe it's because people don't care. 
uh, I know that people care because I hear and see the evidence of that um, uh, every day in, in my role. So people do care. But uh, for a whole host of reasons, uh, um, we've had pretty poor um, voter engagement uh, over the over the years, and it's not um, unique to Chilliwack. It happens um, across the province, where it's um, for whatever reason, local government elections are just not as uh, sexy as the uh, as the uh, provincial and federal ones. And I think one of the you know one of the things that um, I find discouraging about that is that people feel sometimes they they feel disconnected and uh, and feel that uh, you know no matter what they do um, uh, you know what the the governments or the politicians are going to be politicians and nobody's going to care and nobody's going to listen to them and that kind of thing and I think um, that's you know that's discouraging for people who put their name out and just want to try and do their best and I think all across this province and I've worked regionally I worked provincially um, the overwhelming majority of colleagues of my colleagues that work in local government are just regular people trying to do their very best you know and and uh, trying to make do and and uh, trying to make their community a better place uh, uh, a better place to 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 live in um, than the than um, the day before and the you know and I think as long as we kind of simplify, you know, and 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 hold that kind of ethic in our hearts that, you know, we just want to try and make the place a little bit better and the quality of life a little bit better for all of our residents, then I think we're doing okay. But, um, you know, the disconnect is hard. I don't know what, you know, there are many, many people who, who uh, are trying to solve that, that problem. And, you know, I tend to when problems get too uh, too too vast and overwhelming, my my um, reaction is always, you know, I think we need to pare it down. I think we pare it back, simplify, and uh, just uh, focus on ourselves. Focus on being, like you said, trying to be a good role model, trying to do the right thing, uh, taking it day at a time, that kind of thing. So well, and I really like that about city council now is because you all all are kind of role models for different areas. You all represent different interests and different aspects of the community. And I think that we're lucky enough to have such low voter turnout, but yet have such positive representation. And I think that that's one of the benefits of living in a smaller community is we, to me, we get lucky by having people like yourself who do choose to run despite the low voter turnout and do choose to act ethically, responsibly, and try and build up the community, regardless of how many people turned out to vote, you're still acting in the best interest of the community. And I think that that needs to be way more recognized than I think it is often in the newspaper and and other media sources is a lot of condemnation of a decision and less appreciation for the fact that at least you did it with an honest mind and trying to come up with whatever's going to be best for Chilliwack, despite whether or not it always is or not. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think I said this early on to people, I said, uh, you know what, um, you're, you're, I guarantee you, you're not going to always agree with the, the, the votes that I, uh, you know, the voting decisions that I make. I guarantee it 100%. So if you, if you think you're voting for me because, um, you're, you're going to believe in every single thing that I believe in, it's just not, it's just not, not possible. But what I will, um, promise to you is that you'll never, uh, be taken, um, by surprise. Like I'll never, uh, not take an opportunity to explain if if we talk about what I was what I was thinking and the logic I was using to come to a decision. So while we might not always agree, I'll I'll try my very best to to not take you by surprise and not to um, 
not to put in the time and effort into researching a, an issue and uh, to make the best this, to, to make the best decision that I think reflects best across the the, the broad majority of of citizens that uh, in in Chilliwack is not just what I think is the best. It's trying to incorporate what uh, what I'm hearing and and uh, and um, discussing with uh, the residents in the city in, in the city of Chilliwack. So try not to take people too too much by surprise. I think people may may be, disagree with some of the votes and the positions that I've taken, but I don't think many people are ultimately surprised when I make them. So Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to ask about because you are making decisions, but for the most part, they're educated and maybe some of your critics have not researched, they have not had the opportunity to read the documents you had the chance to look over. And so they're still very frustrated with the outcome. And so I was hoping just to ask about what kind of information you receive when you're you're making a decision, just to give people a better understanding of that it is coming from somewhere. It's not just, well, I, I don't like the Paramount today, so I'm going to... like. I felt like today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like that. So could you tell us a little bit about the process of making these decisions? Because I think a lot of viewers understand that you're a city councillor, but I don't know if they understand the depths in which the process goes and how rigid it can be at points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're balancing a whole host of, of um, different uh, information. Like obviously the, the a large source of information that we get is from our our qualified professional staff that we hire for the the city of Chilliwack. They have professional designations. They've worked in the field for many 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 years. Um, they're acting in uh, in uh, policy and guidelines and in alignment with their uh, professional standards that they're um, uh, that they're required to, and so they're giving their um, their information they're providing their reports to to us as counselors um we're also getting you know the same kind of level of of information in certain cases from the different consulting firms and uh and contractors that we partner with the city of chilliwack and then the other huge source of information we're getting from is from the citizens from people who are on the ground neighbors residents people who phone us up and say hey come and walk the property with me i want to show you something that you may not have seen in inside this uh in this side this staff report you know so come see it from our perspective and what you know what it what it how it may impact us and how it may uh look from from uh, the neighborhood perspective so um and then there's a whole host of public feedback and interaction that happens prior to a lot of the decisions and uh and then we're at the point where you know you're 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 making a, a decision you've got public hearings so you've got people who are coming at the at the time of decision making to uh weigh in after they've had the opportunity to read and look over some of the um the reports that are coming so yeah the the process is uh, a whole there's a whole host of things that go into uh to making a decision and i mean don't give me don't don't uh, i don't want you to think that I believe that I've always made the best, correct, right decisions all the time. There's a whole host of times when I go home at night after a long public hearing and I and I sit and reevaluate uh, uh, what's happened that evening and you stay up, you know, uh, running it through in your head thinking, you know, because no matter what's happened, usually you've disappointed somebody along the way. So there are lots of times when I'm sure that people have uh, been a little bit... Uh, um, challenged when, when not just me, but, uh, our council has made, uh, decisions and, uh, 
but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen frivolously. It happens after a, a bunch of research uh, goes into it. So, well, and that's probably a tough position for you to be in because you are having your decision made public and reviewed where if I mess up and I make a poor decision, nobody ever hears about it unless I tell them. And so you are in this weird circumstance of having any decision you make reviewed and judged and critiqued regardless of how much, and sometimes that's done without the background of how you came to the decision, what thought you went through is that ever difficult to come to a decision and then kind of regret it or or have a position that you like that does sound to keep you up and and bother you what is what is that like yeah it's uh just like anything any decision you make in life right i think um certainly politicians are not immune to it it's just that we're not supposed to ever admit that we're wrong right like that's the thing it's it's uh i think this is probably why people have such a challenge with uh with uh, politicians in general because you know y- you're not supposed to admit when you've made a mistake because uh, in general people are not as uh, are not as forgiving i think of of the political class when they when they screw up but surprise we screw up right and it happens and uh and i think you know, rather than judge somebody on on making the mistake, it's you judge them on that, what they do after that and the character, and if they if they're able to come forward to the community and say, "Listen, I really this is something where you know I didn't uh, I didn't properly evaluate perhaps the impacts, and I really wanted to be able to do this again." And and uh, in some cases, you have the ability to to reevaluate and and uh, bring it back for uh, for a good for a second kick at the can and, and redo something that you made a mistake on. But in a lot of cases, people are very hesitant to, um, you know, especially again, when I think about um, politicians across all different stripes, that it's very hesitant to admit that, Hey, I may have, I may have made a mistake here. or I may, I may not have uh, uh, made the same decision. Had I, had I been able to do it again, I do that on a regular, regular basis. And I think the important thing is to be able to, to stand up in front of the community and say, listen, I uh, I don't think that was uh, that was the right thing, and I'd I'd like to try again. I'd like to do it over. I don't know anybody in their life who who doesn't make mistakes, right? You know, you try not to make the same one twice, but that is so amazing. And you're absolutely right that that is incredibly rare within politics to hear somebody actually admit, like, "Hey, I don't make all the right decisions, and I'm never going to make all the perfect decisions." When you started in politics, was that that must have been at the top of the priority list of issues that you would have because. I'm, lots of people think of running in politics, and one of the things they come to is, I'm going to have to be dishonest, or I'm going to get smeared. How did those things play in in, 20, in 2011 when you were having to make this decision? Because you obviously know what goes on within other politicians and how they handle things. What, where did that come in for you? Yeah, I mean, everybody, I think, that when they want to get into uh, politics, they think they're going to do it in a, in a different way. You know, like I've heard, I think that's the one of the biggest cliches that I've heard. Or, you know, every campaign, it's not, I'm not a regular, pol- I'm not a regular politician, or I'm not a politician. I'm, I embrace the fact I am, a, I am a politician. I'm, I'm a political animal. This is something that I've chosen to do. I love it. Um, I understood. I came into it with eyes wide open what the risks were going to be and what the impact was going to be. Um, I understood that people were not always going to be uh, happy with the things that I did. I understood that you're opening up, up, um, a certain amount of your life to public, uh, scrutiny, not all of it. And I believe that there are, there has to be, um, good boundaries when you, when you do this. And, um, 
And so I wasn't um, super concerned with uh, with um, getting smeared or having people, you know, disagree with me or, or people angry at me. Um, I what I what I was more concerned about was I think kind of it's uh, the best way to describe it, starting to believe my own hype. I guess there you go. Like you know, you're when you're a politician, you're kind of surrounded by um, you you have a the mechanics of of uh, staff and and bureaucrats and people who are working very closely with you and the public who tend to put you on a, on a, a bit of a pedestal. And, and, um, and I think there's a real dangerous thing in just starting to, 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 to believe your own hype uh, a little too much. And, and, um, you know, I worked, uh, doing this job as a part-time job. So I'd always worked, uh, for myself as well. So, you know, it helps keep you, um, it helps keep you grounded. Just try to keep that in the back of your mind that this is a part-time, it's a part-time gig. And, you know, every every three years now, four years, I, I go for a job interview um, with the with the public, and they'll evaluate how how well I've done and decide whether they're going to hire me again. But um, I also know that I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life, and uh, and that uh, I certainly better uh, be conscious of the people that I that I build relationships with, and and because. Um, before I did this job and after I do this job, I want to I want to be careful that I, I maintain those relationships and and um, try to be a, a grounded person that 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 uh, you know goes through my day my day to day with the understanding that I'm I'm just uh, <clears throat> even though I'm doing this job right now I'm also just a citizen of the city of Chilliwack trying to do my best like everybody else is right and and, and this city doesn't work unless we all kind of kind of work together and and uh and and kind of pull our own weight so that is awesome and i just had leonard weens on who's the manager of the royal hotel yeah i know len well yeah yeah and he talked it kind of exactly the same thing which is i work with these employees but this job isn't forever i'm going to be leaving this and i'd like to have some peers that i respect after this it isn't just about squeezing out the most amount of work it's about building connections with my community and this is an opportunity for me to do that and it kind of sounds like you're reiterating reiterating that in a you're just a person and you're trying to help your community do better and have a future and you're just a part of that system. And I think that that's a great way to go into that. What is it like to go into the debate format of running for an election and trying to build your name and put that out there? Because you did say you're a political animal, so you know what you're doing. What is that process like to be working with these people and disagree, agree, and then go into political mode and then you have to figure out how to get your message out there Mm -hmm. yeah i really like campaigning so i i always enjoy um that uh, when campaign time starts and where you get to test how really test how well you think you've been doing with the public and you get to bring the messages that uh, that you have and the the kind of um positions that you uh that you like to represent on council um, to the public and test how uh, whether or not they agree with you. I love uh, I love the debate uh, format, and I think it's something that we could do we could do better um, just across the community in um, in modeling because um, educated debate is a beautiful thing where you um, where you get to to disagree with each other and and um, and really uh, work hard to, um, to uh, support or or. Uh, or not support a, a position, but do so in a respectful manner. And I think it's one of the things that we we're missing in our, in our society now. Instead, we just yell and scream at each other or write nasty things online about each other. 
but to get face to face or side by side with somebody and to disagree and and to uh, to debate is uh, is a is a wonderful thing and I think it's a skill set that we need to work more on and and something that we need to practice daily <laughs> and uh, and so campaign time for me that's always a fun it's always a fun time and no matter what and I've said this to people you know whether there's 20 people running or 30 people running like we've had huge we've had some pretty um a large number of of um uh candidates come and run in in a number of the elections that i've run in and every single one of them you know i always try and um uh, you know at, at least uh, go and shake their hand and learn a little bit about their their uh the policies and the things that they're bringing to the table and you know i, I don't think i've ever had a really bad experience with any anyone at the end of the day unfortunately there's only uh six spots and you know they're they're we're in a we're in a position in a system that has uh has to pick some 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 people to 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 move to the chair to the to to the big chairs there uh but um you know it's also keeping um people engaged who uh ran during the election and uh, had some really good ideas and we um one of the things that i really thought that uh that Ken did well as a mayor was uh, he kept a lot of contact information for candidates who ran in, in the election and um, brought them invited in some cases, invited them on to uh, some of our committees and opened up the doors to city hall and said, Hey, I really thought there were some neat things that you said throughout the election campaign. And uh, I, I don't want those to go, you know, some of those ideas to, to go unheard and unnoticed. And I think we could benefit from them. And, and that was, wow. that was really cool. I thought that was really, really cool. That is awesome. What is the going door to door feel like? Because obviously you're going to deal with a vast different amount of population. What is that like to go through? Yeah, I, I never really liked going door to door too much. We did some door knocking. Um, I mostly did some door knocking in support of, uh, of, of Ken. And, uh, generally I try and think about how I feel when, uh, when people come and knock on my door at dinner time and I don't, I'm not usually 100% favorable to it, but, um, but it is important, and I think it. it obviously, pe- you know, we do it because it it's it it uh, generates. Uh, um, you know, in some in a lot of cases, actually, I was we were talking to people who weren't even aware that there was an election happening. So, um, you know, it did it it served its purpose there. But yeah, door knocking is interesting, and and um, you know, there's a whole um, there's a whole bunch of. Uh, of uh, theory around, uh, you know, having that uh, face-to-face direct ask where you just ask somebody to support you um, in your, you know, in your endeavor to be a, to be a, a counselor or politician, whatever, uh, whatever role you're running for. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know that I would uh, want to necessarily run out to, to do it again <laughs> soon, but uh, door knocking that is, but I liked all the public debates and I liked all the community meetings and I liked all the like stakeholder, stakeholder engagement events and, um, you know, and then, uh, and then during campaign time, there's always tons of different things that you get invited out to. And so, you know, I think last time I, uh, I was in like, uh, the Rosedale parade and, uh, we drove uh, tractors. We did like a plowing contest that I lost horribly at, and so, but it was that was super fun. Well, it's hard to not get on board with that. That does sound like yeah, a lot yeah, of fun. It's excellent. So, one of the other things I wanted to ask about was what it's like because I do think Chilliwack is so different in terms of each pocket has such different qualities. So, like, I grew up downtown Chilliwack, and 
for the most part, I grew up never waving at people and just doing that casual down the road wave because there were legitimate dangers. And I've had, mm. I've been in very dangerous circumstances living downtown, mm -hmm. but now that I have my license, I get to drive through different communities, Ryder Lake, Yarrow, um, Majuba Hill, Marble Hill, Rosedale, Greendale, all these different communities. And they have such different vibes. Mm -hmm. And I think one of them is that when you go to somewhere like Ryder Lake, the person's going to wave at you and tell you to have a good day, whether or not you're from there or not. And so what is that like for you to be able to work with such different community pockets? Mm-hmm. As a counselor, it's interesting because we don't have a ward system here. So there's a lot of people who say, oh, you're the counselor from Yarrow. You're the Yarrow guy. You're just going to do all, you know, to vote for all Yarrow things. Well, surprisingly, not a lot of just only Yarrow things come to the table at, at council. So you're, you know, you're not, I'm not just representing the place, you know, the, the tiny um, part of the city where I live, just like the rest of the councillors aren't representing necessarily just their own neighborhoods. And that's a really good thing because, uh, you know, there's only six of us and you'd ignore a, a, a large majority of the city if that were the case. But yeah, hundred percent agree with you that the city is kind of made up of these kind of smaller little villages almost, right? And, um, and with, uh, some of their own unique flair and some of their kind of, um, their own vibe, like you said. And I totally agree with you. I'm lucky because I've worked, you know, I've worked right downtown. One of the first offices that I ever worked in was right on Nowell Street. I've lived downtown. So I used to live on Hazel and I used to live on Macintosh. So I lived all over. I've lived in apartments. I've lived in houses. My, uh, my grandparents used to live up in Ryder Lake. So I've, I, I spent a lot of time up there. And also we've got, uh, you know, friends and family and, and, uh, up in the Chilliwack River Valley, obviously Yarrow is where I've lived for 30 years now and, uh, and spend a lot of time there. I think, like you said, like you can't ignore that, you know, when you talked about the downtown context that, you know, it, it definitely had some challenges, but it also has some wonderful kind of, uh, beautiful things about it. I remember, um, when I was living on Hazel, um, just, uh, the opportunity to just jump on my bike and ride straight into the downtown and just go to any host of restaurants. Like if I wanted to be at Chili's, I was there in like, you know, three minutes. And, you know, if, um, Sheila and I wanted to walk down and go to, go to Bravo for a nice dinner that night and then walk home. So we didn't have to take a cab. We didn't have to drive. We didn't have to do anything. It was just like right on our doorstep, right? So it was so nice and so convenient. And I think so, so many people are going to benefit from that. Not just people that currently live really close to some of the development that's happening down there, but just, uh, people who, uh, new residents that we're going to start welcoming down there to some of the new, uh, multifamily stuff. And there's a whole bunch of, of, uh, multifamily, um, buildings that are opening up kind of in and around the downtown. And, you know, in terms of like the smiling and waving at people and stuff like that, I really do believe that the, um, you know, there's still a lot of that no matter where you go in this community, we're a big city, you know, and, uh, we're, you know, we're not just this tiny little small rural town of, you know, 40, 50,000 people anymore. We're pushing a hundred thousand people. And so, um, it's, it's, uh, it is undeniably we are growing and we're growing fast, but I do believe that we can still all model that kind of behavior where you still want to try and get to know your neighbors and still try and build that community every day to reach out, wave, smile, how you doing, that kind of thing. And it doesn't cost anything. It's very easy. 
you know, um, nine times out of 10, you get a smile and a wave back, you know, and I think it doesn't hurt anything, but it makes the other person feel good and feel good about being, you know, living in this community. So, well, and feel safe yeah, is a huge absolutely. one when you're walking down absolutely. downtown. Yeah. So the other part that I wanted to move into, because you do play such a, you're like an ambassador for the community where a lot of people know who you are and you have this this platform where you are able to put out messages. But I think that it's also so cool to see the development of different ideas like um, I've seen so many of the bike lanes come out. And I think that that is going to your point, an example of utilizing your position for good and that city council is seeing that bike paths and these types of things are so important. And so what other things are coming to, to Chilliwack and maybe downtown Chilliwack that you could talk about? Yeah, there's, uh, there's a few things that are, uh, that are on the horizon. So we're redeveloping uh, Spadina right now with uh, some more kind of more of a kind of a green street concept with uh, some separated pathways and some uh, bike lanes and that kind of thing. I'm glad that you touched on the bike lanes and just an active transportation. So whether you, maybe you're not utilizing a bike lane for bikes, but there's a lot of people who use them for mobility scooters, for just walking, pushing a stroller, that kind of thing. The idea is that we're building these multi-use paths that are accessible for people of all ages and all abilities in a safe manner. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the, the proof is undeniable that, um, getting people out and into the, to, to the great outdoors or in and out of their cars and uh, with the ability to travel and experience the city in a different way is, uh, nothing but positive. So, um, you've seen investments from council on, um, on some of the, uh, on some of that redevelopment, whether it's promoting the cycling infrastructure or pedestrian infrastructure. Um, but also tightening up and actually focusing a little bit of density and multi-use, mixed-use density into the town where, you know, we're not just building one type of, of construction, but we're building complete kind of uh, communities and areas. So if you live in a multifamily uh, residential spot, the idea is you could come down, uh, you know, from the apartment and, you know, grab a coffee at the coffee shop uh, right below your building, uh, go to a bakery, go to the barber shop go do your banking all within walking distance or biking distance, that kind of thing. And that's kind of complete community design and having the idea to kind of focus on that. I think uh, we've got some, uh, so we've got along with the development and the redevelopment work coming in the downtown, we've got some, uh, some stuff happening over by the, uh, by the cultural center. We've got a pump track that's coming so uh, that's going to be new to the city of Chilliwack. What is a pump track? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, no, it's uh, it's essentially, a, again, a multi-use kind of track that's kind of different elevations that you can um, you can you can use on a bike or mobility or a scooter or skateboards or all sorts of stuff where you don't actually need to pedal, but you just use your own momentum kind of uh, uh, on the bike and going up and over the different hills and stuff to uh, to build momentum and move around the track. So. I'm probably not doing it justice and Bud Mercer is going to kill me because this was something that he pushed uh, hard um, along with the Fraser Valley Mountain Biking Society who came and uh, presented it to the parks, uh, to the parks committee where he's the chair. But we have uh, some of the plans uh, online. And from my understanding, these are, these, uh, these uh, pump track facilities are super, super, super popular all around the, all around the province. And, I think this will be um, the largest, if not one of the largest, in in the in the province of BC. So, 
it's pretty uh it's pretty exciting and there's some space there right around the curling rink that uh that we're going to utilize for it what else is coming downtown we have um I think we've got some uh, greenway uh, development that's happening uh, in and around the Cope River. We've been developing what we call the Blue Way strategy, where we were building um, access in and around the Chilliwack River um, slough system there, um, so people could get their kayaks and their canoes down and and paddle, and then com- and then combining that with a little bit more rigorous uh, cleaning schedule. Down there, so we're doing a lot of uh, debris removal in the in the slough system, just allowing people to get out on the water in a safe way. The one thing I do have to give city yeah. council for credit for is both dike systems. Um, the one in Vetter is incomprehensible from when I was running it two or three years ago mm-hmm. because there's been playgrounds set up, parking lots built. It is way more structured and way more accessible to people than before the Vetter Bridge was re- rebuilt. The changes I've seen within that space and the amount of people who are utilizing it now has shot up incomprehensibly. And so I would just wanted to hear how that, when that started and what that process was like because where it's come, it's amazing. Yeah, that's a partnership with uh, Rotary to build the Rotary Trail System. So, uh, a good, um, you know, the good community groups. That's a tri club group. So, the three Rotary clubs partnered with the city of Chilliwack, and and um, we're developing the trail systems. There have been a whole host of different uh, stakeholders and user groups that have uh, participated in assisting along the way. Whether it's uh, Pacific Salmon Society. We've been able to get grants from both the provincial and federal governments to do uh, to do watershed enhancement all along the way, but the 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 idea that that whole that's a whole kind of greenway path that loops all the way down past Yarrow and and up both sides of the the Vetter uh, the Vetter River, and you can um, you can also jog in and off of that onto these little uh, different cells of different um, pathways and and trail systems, and then there's like you said, there's these pods of uh, parking and, um, you know, uh, facilities, so washrooms and parks, food trucks, food trucks um, the playgrounds, that kind of thing. So it's, it is one of the most popular uh, recreational areas in the city of Chilliwack. And that's on the south side. We envision seeing maybe a development, maybe not of the, that exact uh, scope and scale, but to, to provide an experience like that on the north side in and around kind of the the uh, Hope River um, and Camp River Slough systems and stuff like that. So that's coming. We've had we've had a few, no, I guess, uh, uh, road bumps in dealing with the proper uh, regulatory agencies around um, just building in and around um, habitat and that kind of thing. And so obviously we want to do it the right way. But I think in the next uh, in the next uh, number of years, you're going to see some uh, some action happening on the north side. That's awesome because I also do love the Fraser River and the dike along there because that one is, it's so, it's weirdly different than the Vetter one because it is so quiet and because it is so suburban where the Vetter Trail has kind of become famous and it has food trucks and it has community and it has people waving where the Fraser Valley or the Fraser River one is still so quiet and mm-hmm. calm. So it's it's so fun to see those differences and be able to have that within your community the part I wanted to move into is what is it like to work outside of Chilliwack and build connections with other other communities and the province itself? Yeah, part of, part of the role of a city councillor is to uh, be an advocate um, for the community and community needs, um, both at a provincial and, and a federal level or a regional level. 
And uh, so I've had the opportunity of, of doing that as well. I was the president of what's called the Lower Mainland Local Government Association, which is a combination of all of the uh, municipalities from Hope all the way up through to uh, Squamish. So that encompassed three different regional districts, Squamish, Lillooet, the Metro Vancouver, and the Fraser Valley. And I was, uh, I'm just, I'm actually just completing my final term as the, as the outgoing, as a past president here in, in the next uh, couple of weeks. And so, um, being an advocate for community needs on, on, um, services that are not within the responsibility or not within the scope of, of, uh, local government, but still, we're still, um, our, our community needs for it, for exist, uh, for, um, for example, things like, uh, homelessness, things like, uh, uh, mental health and healthcare, uh, services. Uh, well, they may not necessarily become the direct responsibility of local government. We have a role to play and, uh, and, uh, the province, um, has a huge role to play. So it's, uh, sometimes, uh, being an advocate and, and reminding the province that, uh, these things are very important. And, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, Chilliwack and the region is, uh, is lacking in some of the, the services that we, that, uh, that we require. That that is a tough circumstance to be in because I know people get mad for people pushing the blame onto other levels of government, but it is the case that the province is responsible for healthcare and addressing homelessness and stuff like that. Does that ever arise for you where people look at you and blame you for the homeless issues when you know that that isn't your role, but you do have a role to play? Yeah, there's not there's no uh, shortage of uh, blame where uh, being laid um, for. Uh you know, for some of the really complex issues that cities all across the province are facing all across the country. Um, but, um, probably one of the, one of the, the challenges is to how to, um, accept that constructive criticism when it's there and without just passing the buck, but just saying like, for instance, you know, I don't think it's helpful to just say, yeah, we have a homeless problem, but, um, it's not our, it's not our problem. It's the province's problem and they should deal with it. I feel like it, um, I feel like what perhaps is more constructive is say, you know, there are roles that local government have the ability to play and let's ensure that we have the, we, we are playing those roles, but there are also roles that the province needs to play. And we also need to respect the division of, of, of authority and governance and responsibility. And, um, to me, um, you know, we're, we need to, we need to work together. You know, we need to, to pull in the same direction for these, uh, for us to have any kind of fighting chance to, to, uh, to start to tackle some of these large, uh, kind of multi-jurisdictional issues. And, um, and I think it's not helpful to just blame, uh, you know, any one person or any one level of, of government. Yeah. So, um, just out of curiosity, what is it like to go to those meetings with provincial people and your municipal worker? What is that? Diff- is is there any difference? Do they talk about the difference or is it just within your role, you're just able to speak to Chilliwack issues? What is that like? It varies. Yeah, it varies. Sometimes the, uh, the meetings are, you know, huge, you know, where there's many, many, many different jurisdictions uh, represented and everybody wants their their uh five seconds of time with uh, the the minister or somebody who is uh, you know uh, representing uh the province or federal government i was in a meeting yesterday uh 
where uh, we got uh, there's probably a handful of us, uh, different mayors from uh, a number of different communities, and and we had kind of a direct, a real um, positive conversation with the chief medical health officer and with uh, and with uh, Fraser Health, and we got to um, you know uh, have very frank, open uh, discussion. And um, I think you know, as long as you're keeping in the back of your mind or trying to keep in the back of your mind that you know these are just people who are trying to do the best in their in the circumstances that they're in for their communities or the, for their organizations. And you try and not be too hard on the on the person when you disagree, but just try to be a little bit hard on the hard on the issue. And I've never I've never backed away from that. If I think somebody is not being accountable for for um for the things that they need to be accountable for, then I'll 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 say so. But I'm you know, you try and stay away from the from the uh, from the name calling and from being uh, uh, from being taking it personal or, or or making it personal and um, and I think you know in I hope that in my interactions with people whether it's here in the city or or in the province or federally they understand that that uh, it's, you know I'm I'm also take the role if I get if I get um, you know a little bit heated on an issue it's because they take the role that I'm in seriously so. That's awesome. Just out of curiosity, when you were looking into running for politics in 2011, did you ever ponder whether or not municipal politics was the right level, or did that just feel like the right level from the get-go? Yeah, never. I, uh, I, I think um, for a whole host of reasons that um, local government is where I, where I always uh, wanted to be. Yeah. And so what is it like to be a part of Yarrow? Just out of curiosity, because I'd like to get more into the personal side of things sure. and your experience within uh, the community you grew up in. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole different level of accountability because uh, I, grew, I, I was uh, a little kid there. So a lot of the people that I know and who know me and know my family, they, they, know, uh, they know what I was like as a, as a you know, 10 and 11 year old and, and tearing around the city and terrorizing people and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's a different level of accountability and, uh, and expectation. And, um, and, and I think it's, uh, I obviously I'm, I'm, uh, a little bit, uh, biased, but I think it's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, little part of the, of the city. And, and, um, and, uh, it retains its own little, uh, its own little quirky, uh, character and, um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I've I've lived in a whole bunch of different places in and around Chilliwack, and and uh, before we had the opportunity to move back, uh, like my uh, my wife and I had to move back into Yarrow. You know, you can definitely tell when you're you know when you're there. It's it's still uh, a very tight knit uh, tight knit community. Yeah, slowly growing, but absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with your wife and how that how that <laughs> came about? Sure. Yeah. So I've I've been. Married since uh, 2008. You just and, had an anniversary. Uh, no, we just had an anniversary. Yes, yes, and um, and she's from uh, grew up in Abbotsford, and uh, we met here in Chilliwack. And uh, she she's a youth worker, so she works for um, she was working out here at uh, Chilliwack Community Services, and now she works for uh, Archway or what used to be uh, Abbotsford Community Services. So yeah, she's uh, she works on uh, pretty complex uh, sexual exploitation cases with with uh, uh, children and and uh, young people. So she's got a, ex a just incredibly uh, important job. Yeah, she's she uh, she's very supportive of the the work that I do and 
and I try to be really supportive of the work that she does. You know, before we came and talked about this, that was one of the things I kind of admired, you know, some of the posts that you were putting up and how, um, you know, uh, you acknowledge your, the work of your partner and, uh, and, uh, and how, uh, it, how important it is to, to, uh, to support each other and to be supported. And I think, um, you know, nobody can do, nobody can do this life alone. And so to have uh, somebody who's special to you, who, uh, who's uh, supportive and, uh, and ho- who also uh, holds you accountable in, in only ways that, uh, that they can, um, is, is, uh, super important. That is something I don't feel like we get to hear about enough in media and in TV shows is the actual, the day after the wedding and the day after where you guys yeah. are holding each other accountable and you're working hard at your your own goals and trying to pursue whatever it is, but that that person supports you, talks to you, you debrief with them, you go through what you did right, what you did wrong, and and they give their advice and try and guide you towards the goals you're trying to reach. That's That's where the relationship comes in. And too often we're way focused on getting into the relationship and not about what the benefits are the mm-hmm. day after. And I think that that is something with what you posted, it really does bring people back to connection and to what the value of having a teammate is and having that outlook. And your ability to write this on Facebook was something I wanted to talk about because I think in that moment, it was the most important thing to share. And it is something about bringing the community back together. And you did that through this. And I think that that's important to recognize and to talk about. So how did you meet your wife? We met at a bar. Yeah, we met at a bar in Chilliwack. Good times. Is it still uh, open? It was, uh, I don't think, I think it's something else now, but uh, yeah, for uh, you might be a little bit, uh, maybe 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 it was a little bit before your time there, but um, they used to have buck a beer night on uh, Tuesdays, and so I'm a cheapskate, and so I went out and... Uh, uh, we, we just met by chance there and had some mutual friends and stuff. And, uh, so ran into each other there and then, um, kind of been together ever since. What did you guys do for your first date then? Oh, I don't even know. Well, it, I guess that would have been it. Yeah. Uh, that was it. It was, was buck of beer night. I think I splurged and bought her a $2 beer that night instead of a $1 beer. So. Oh, what a romantic. <laughs> That's know, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's going to kill me. Cool. But, uh, no, it. Just we uh, we had a, a lot of a lot of common interests. She's a she's a real avid traveler, and I wasn't um, at the time. But she really opened up the world to to me in terms of uh, you know wanting to travel uh, different places in different countries. And she had she had been living and working in another country. And did think, she did she go to school at UFE? She did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so did you from UFE? Yes, I did. Yeah. And what was that like? Because you won an award, the 40 Alumni yeah, Award. Yeah, yeah, they must have been scraping the bottom of the barrel when they got to my name. But it was uh, they were given awards to the top 40, 48, yeah, top 40 under 40 alumni or something, or top 40 alumni. So, I mean, the the thing with uh, UFE is that uh, I've, I've um, gone on and off. I've attended uh, the university and through different um, and taken different courses i've actually never graduated with anything so i i actually i I don't know what how many credits i have there but apparently i've got enough credits to get uh you know a a certain a certain some kind of degree but uh i was more interested in just uh chasing things that were uh, were of interest to me and learning and i love uh, i just love uh, education in general and i believe that uh having the university in in 
a regional university here, but having the university here in Chilliwack was is is amazing. It's a huge benefit to the city. And which which one did you go to? Which UFE was it? The old one on yeah, Yale? Yeah, I started there, and um, so I took classes at, at that university right after right after high school, and then I went um, did a number of courses there. I've done courses at Canada Education Park. I've done courses in Abbotsford. Um, I think I took a course in, um, I think at one point was in Mission, and uh, I think the only campus I never went to was when they had the Hope Campus. So Yeah, that's yeah. wild. Can you tell us a little bit about Myriad Corporation and how that came about? Because that does sound sure. like it was your interest, and then you moved away from university to more focus on that is what I'm guessing. Yeah, so I started a company back in 2004 with a partner, and uh, it was um, around, uh, the company still exists today, um, it's uh, an IT uh, services and consulting firm, and uh, I had been um, I had been working prior to that, I was a contractor for the city of Chilliwack and their IT department, so I'd worked, uh, I'd worked on a number of different projects and for, for quite a few years, and then Myriad was kind of like the evolution where we kind of branched out and we took on some more clients. So, uh, yeah, just offer a whole host of different, uh, services, technical services. And, uh, and I'm, I, I work in the capacity of business development. So I'm doing sales and business development, meeting new people, new clients, introducing them to, uh, to the company and the things that we do. Um, uh, switching roles a little bit now. And as, as I spend a little bit more time at home, but, um, I've got, uh, partners at, uh, at Myriad and, and uh, I hope that that company, after I'm finished, will uh, continue along long after I'm done with it. I love being, I, I consider myself kind of a, an, an entrepreneur and always looking for new kind of exciting opportunities. So where, where did the name come up, come from? Myriad? Um, well, I, I came up with a name and it was kind of a, at a certain point, I think it was just more of a, a reflection on, you know, when you're new and you're chasing business, you know, you're. You pretty much don't turn anything down. So if somebody asks you, you know, can you do this? We say, yeah, absolutely, we can do this. So it was kind of a, a play on the, the myriad of services that we uh, we had offered. So that makes sense. I yeah, was wondering because yeah, that's yeah. what was running through my mind yeah. when I read it. That's awesome. And so you've done that. You were also the the youngest Chamber of Commerce president. Yeah. Yes. Um, it was it was excellent. I. Um, I believe, uh, you know, I believe strongly in the work of the Chamber of Commerce and, uh, and, um, as a, as a, a young uh, business owner in the city of Chilliwack, when I started, uh, when we started Myriad, um, it was a great vehicle to, to meet new people and to network and to, um, help, you know, build some of the skill set that you need for, um, for uh, surviving as a small business. You know, I got invited to sit on the board uh, and then, um, and then ended up uh, serving as uh, as president um, for uh, for a couple of terms, and um, yeah, there's just a, a whole uh, host of benefits that uh, a strong chamber brings to a city. They can help hold uh, the city uh, decision makers accountable and uh, ensure that uh, the voice of business is being heard uh, in uh, in the city of Chilliwack and. Um, and I think, you know, these days, you know, especially during uh, the, the pandemic, you can see the hard work that uh, the chamber is doing in, in partnership with a number of different organizations around um, just supporting uh, a lot of small uh, businesses in, the, in what the economic restart looks like and, and, and helping navigate, you know, some of the uh, supports that are being put in place by, uh, by government. So I, th- I think chambers are extremely uh, 
extremely valuable. What are some of the roles that go on there? Because I think most people know what the Chamber of Commerce is as an entity, but we don't know what the day-to-day looks like when you're leading such a team. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, an executive director and staff that work there, and they they do most of the handle most of the day to day operational stuff. And then there's an executive team and a um, and a board of directors that uh, oversees the kind of governance and uh, direction move, that they're moving the chamber in. And there's a policy and advocacy branch of the chamber that works both locally and then provincially and federally, so across Canada that. Um, that works to advocate on um, on issues that are important to business, and then you know there are a whole host of different events and uh, and programs that the chamber uh, offers uh, as uh, supports for uh, for um, all sizes of business, but primarily you know a lot of value for small and medium sized businesses and uh, and being able to uh, um, you know. Uh, kind of work together, uh, pool resources and uh, get provided. Uh, there are group health benefits. There are things that would maybe be unobtainable on your own as a small as a small enterprise that you can kind of benefit from the larger chamber network to work together on. Yeah, yeah. And then um, my um, the the area that I was kind of more um, excited about, the most excited about, was probably on the policy and advocacy side. So we're just again. Almost doing similar things as you are as a as a city councilor when you're advocating, but uh, you know with a little bit more tight tighter uh, focus or tighter lens uh, business lens. So, what were some of the things that you ran into during your time that you wanted to push mm. forward? Uh, there was a number of things. Um, there was we had done some work around redevelopment of uh, brownfield uh, brownfield sites um, where we were trying to. Uh, Promote changes to uh, to provincial legislation that would uh, help encourage redevelopment of sites that have sat stagnant because of environmental pollution. Done some advocacy work on on uh, promoting some solu- some things that we thought were uh, solutions. Uh, some of which were uh, changes um, around local government, giving local government some additional powers to help uh, encourage some more uh, redevelopment. We did work around mobile business licensing, um, where we're trying to reduce some of the red tape that were being, that was being experienced with, uh, some, uh, small and medium sized enterprises and their, and their requirements that they were having to get, to, uh, get, uh, multiple business licenses from multiple jurisdictions that we're in. So tradespeople, contractors, electricians, that kind of thing, um, by introducing kind of a mobile business license so they could get one license and then travel into different parts of the region. It made it just, reduced red tape and made it easier for them to do work. It's been a while since I've been uh, doing chamber stuff, but uh, it's just that and then focusing on, you know, just promoting each other and promoting networking opportunities for businesses, bringing them together to help uh, to help uh, kind of uh, support each other as a network. That's awesome. And so the other part that I wanted to ask you about, just because I have you here, mm-hmm. is what has it been like with all of the developments that have been going on in Chilliwack to kind of be involved and watch people react to them and watch the community adopt the ideas that were put forward probably years earlier that you had started from there and you you maybe had a vision of what was coming, but most people didn't know until the Vetter River is, is all designed. What is it like to watch that adoption and watch the acceptance from the community 
to ideas and to projects you've put forward. Yeah, it's really exciting. And um, like I said earlier, it's one of the benefits, I believe, in uh, in being a local government. One of the benefits and blessings, I think, of being a, a local government politician is the fact that you really, you know, you're more hands-on in, in the community and the, and the changes that, that make that, that you are a part of generally happen quite a bit quicker. And so whenever I see the public being able to uh, take advantage of, be a part of, embrace some of the, the new uh, projects or programs or services or things that, that the local government is offering, I think it's really, um, it's, uh, it's really exciting. It, it's also the understanding that, you know, I am one small piece of that, right? So uh, there are, by the time that project is built, there are a whole bunch of people who have contributed in, in just as meaningful or in a lot of cases more meaningful ways to get it, to get it going. But I think you, you know, you feel, uh, I feel, uh, I feel, uh, honored to, to be, to be a part of it and, uh, and to, to play a, a role in my own small way. Um, you know, you see that reflected in, uh, you know, a new community park or a playground. You see kids running and playing and, and, and stuff. Or, or in my case, you, you know, um, a new uh, trail system or something that you uh, that you uh, supported um, uh, as a counselor. And you get to go and push a stroller on it with your kid in it and, and, and you know, watch watch his li- eyes light up as he's looking at all the, the trees and, the, and the, the, the beauty that we have here in the city. So, yeah, it's 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 gratifying it's awesome that is awesome what are some of your favorite things to do when you're in chilliwack oh man i uh anyway we've got such a a great mix of of awesome uh restaurants we and patios and uh you know uh brew pubs uh we've got um i think like just an unparalleled um uh beautiful uh outdoors um that you know you can get to in you know minutes almost no matter where you are in the city um we've got local uh, we've got access to incredible um uh locally grown food um so uh again almost no matter where you are in the city you're you're minutes away from uh, being able to 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 partake in some of the the tastiest farm to table food you'll get anywhere in the province. Um, and I think we have some amazing amenities for a city of our size. We've got a beautiful cultural center. We've got some great uh, leisure centers and recreational facilities. So um, no matter what your kind of forte is, uh, whether you're into sports or whether you're into uh, the outdoors, you're, you're, you're always very close to some of those amenities. And then I think just, uh, like, like you kind of mentioned, like we've got, uh, we've got fantastic people here. We've got great people. And I think, um, you know, the thing that uh, I always am keeping in the back of my mind is, you know, how do we make sure that we're building a city that is uh, accessible to, to everyone to achieve the same kind of high quality of life and, uh, and uh, that we remove barriers for people to experience the city the way that they want to experience it. And, uh, and to be successful. And I think, um, you know, again, trying to simplify our, our role, you just want to leave this city a, a better place than when you, uh, you kind of got involved with uh, decision-making in it. 
that that is one part that is so interesting because you were involved in the hospital side of things and the healthcare side of things. And to me, I think we get a bad reputation with our hospital the way it is. But I do think that there's a lot of work going on in the background that people might not recognize and a lot of investments and a lot of trying to build it up to a better place. Can you talk at all to that and where our hospital is heading in the future? Yeah, it's... Um I mean, it's something that I'm I'm less familiar with um, these days than I was when I was uh, the vice chair of the Healthcare Foundation at that time when I was working with Fraser Valley Healthcare Foundation when they had just completed a large fundraising activity to uh, to redevelop the uh, the emergency wing of the Chilliwack General Hospital. I mean, that project was supported by the Fraser Valley Regional Hospital District, of which I'm a part of now, a board member. And I've been a past chair and, and acting chair of that board as well. So that primarily provides capital funding to, to large healthcare, pro, uh, large, large healthcare projects in the region, not just the city of Chilliwack, but across the region. You know, these days, it's sure, we sure get a glaring reminder daily of how important, um, uh, a viable healthcare system is and how important, uh, a public healthcare system is our public healthcare. And I'm just incredibly, um, profoundly grateful to the people that work and who are working as we speak right now, uh, day in and day out to help manage us through this, uh, through this uh, current challenge. But, um, you know, what became, um, readily apparent to me as, as, uh, as I was involved in the, some of those different organizations was that you have to give these great people the tools that they need to do their, to do their job properly. So whether that's getting, um, uh, advocating to get some better equipment or better facilities, I think that, that job is, is ongoing, right? And, um, you know, healthcare is incredibly, uh, uh, the healthcare system is incredibly, um, large and, uh, and can be unwieldy and, uh, can be very, uh, expensive. Um, uh, to fund from, from a government perspective, you know, they put billions and billions of dollars into, into the healthcare system and taxpayers pay billions and billions of dollars into healthcare. But, uh, I mean, all it takes is, uh, is something like this to happen when you sure say, wow, like, uh, I'm glad I'm paying every penny that I'm paying in taxes, uh, that's going into is health, going into healthcare is being well spent. And, uh, and uh, the piece that I think is going to be incredibly important to fix and to uh, to address is some of the gaps that have become glaringly obvious with uh, long-term care and uh, assisted living and how we honor our, our elders in, in society and what a reflection it is on, on this society um, when uh, we can't, when we're failing to keep those important people safe and uh, in the facilities that they're, that they're in and, and, and providing the services that, that they need to, to uh, be provided to keep them safe and healthy. That was one thing that um, is, is very current right now is that we do have a large majority of our population is elderly, but we also have this new movement um, due to social media and the internet where people don't seem to take masks and gloves as seriously and offer the respect of like, hey, maybe it's not about whether or not I get sick, but it's about whether or not the elderly lady who comes in gets sick because I don't care. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is something I've never seen within my lifetime of people just having that level of dis disrespect, I guess, towards how important this is, not just to you, but to everybody else around you and that other people are vulnerable to 
getting coronavirus and there could be larger consequences for other people than just yourself but this has come through conspiracy theories and really bad ideas and i just wanted to get your thoughts on it because you get to kind of get a bird's eye view of everything that's kind of going on in chilliwack you get to hear about things that i might not be aware of but these are problems that you have to try and guide our community in Mm -hmm. and that's a tough responsibility because there there may be a point that they're making on certain issues but not on like it's not as cut and dry as as I'd like it to be. But what are your thoughts on what's kind of gone on? Mm-hmm. You know, I try and steer clear as best I can of uh, some of the the uh, the really poisonous rhetoric that happens on social media and, the, and some of the really uh, uh, way out there conspiracy uh, theories about uh, the, the pandemic and, uh, and its source and uh, who may be responsible and yada, yada, yada. I just, I there are so many more important places to put energy in my, in my opinion. Um, I think it's fairly, I I think it's fairly simple. I think it's just respect. I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's recalibrating, um, our, ourselves, uh, throughout this. And, you know, I have a mask in my pocket. I just doing what I said to you, like, or we can maintain our physical distancing here and do it in a safe way. And I feel safe, but I want to ask how you feel, you know, And, and if you'd have told me, Hey, you know what, I'd feel more safe if you wore your mask. I'd say absolutely no problem. So whether I go into a grocery store or a, or a dentist's office or a barbershop or whatever, and and, um, and they put a rule in place that says, uh, you know what, I'd like you to put the mask on because it makes me feel more comfortable and, and, and safer. Something like that, I'm not going to debate, you know, the merits of it. I think... Uh, I think it's uh I think it's I think it's clear that uh it's just uh, you do you check in with people you treat people the way you'd want to be treated um and uh you know we're only going to get through this by getting through it together and um if that means you have to put aside uh you know or you have to check in with somebody and just uh think a little bit of uh, uh, one more extra step before you interact with somebody and whether it's just not shaking hands or, you know, or, or uh, being respectful to maintain your physical distancing or, or it's adjusting your schedule a little bit in your day to give yourself a little bit more time. You know, I, I, I really don't think that's a, that's a big deal. And I think we just need to keep being respectful of each other and uh, checking in with each other and 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 spending more time holding each other up than tearing each other down and you know and that's the only way we're going to be uh, successful in in getting through this so just because people are entitled to uh, their opinions they're not entitled to their own facts so you know i uh, we try and and maintain an open connection with uh, the the medical professionals that are that are managing uh the, the public health side of this uh, of the situation and uh, and be very respectful and and uh, and follow the uh, the uh, guidance that's being put in place yeah that is one one area where it's just I don't know if I've ever seen it before where we both agree not to do certain random things during the podcast that would just be outlandish like trying to dance while we're talking mm-hmm. and to me that's obviously just normal but then when we bring in these ideas of wearing a mask it's almost like the person feels like we're asking too much. And I don't think that that's the case. Mm-hmm. And within a community, we we gain so many benefits. And I feel like that's what people are starting to forget is that the trail that they're walking on, the roads that they're driving on, the 
the interactions they're having all day long are because of the society or the community. And so they're benefiting when they get to go and do those things. And so to put up such a boundary of saying like, well, I'm not going to wear a mask no matter what is, is so silly because you're benefiting from all the work of your community members, of all the people around you. And to make such harsh decisions seems like you're kind of being disrespectful, not ju just to that person, but to all the work that you've put into building these communities and the, like say the cultural center and somebody wants to go there you helped establish that so the least the person entering could do is respect the rules that will keep everybody safe because that is a part of the community and i feel like that's something people are forgetting more and more and this kind of goes back to my point about our relationship with government and thinking that government is somehow disconnected to us when the point you've made most of this podcast is that we're a community and you're just a person and you're just trying to act in the the interest of the community and i feel like that's what's fading away so do you have any any thoughts on have you seen that happen or do you think that we're coming closer together as a community and maybe social media is just misrepresenting what's going on on the ground yeah, I mean, I've <clears throat> I've stated before that I think uh, social media has some uh, some great benefits, but I also think that it can be incredibly um, incredibly poisonous and and can take up a whole bunch of uh, of time, you know, with with people. I think um, in general, most of the people that I see and hear from and speak to are we're all navigating new, you know, for a lot of us, we're all navigating this new territory. And it's important for us to, to kind of try and do it together, but to also to give people time and space and grace, you know, uh, the opportunity to come to their own, into their own comfort level as we move through this. We have to be, um, be conscious and cognizant of the, of the, the health professionals that are providing direction. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe we just get to bite our tongue a little bit. You know, if you've got a, you may get frustrated or you may be a little bit on edge because it's, it's also, you know, it's easy to get worried and, uh, and feel anxious. I think you gotta take a deep breath, take a step back and, uh, and realize that, you know, again, we're community members, you know, <laughs> nobody's dealt with this before. Um, at least a lot of the people that I, I'm talking to haven't dealt with this kind of situation before. It doesn't, it's not helpful to, I mean, it's not helpful, I believe, to start blaming people or looking for groups to blame. I, I've, uh, ha I had some questions the other day when we were in a meeting, uh, I was asking because, you know, there's definitely a lot of talk about the fact that, you know, this second phase or second wave of, of, of the cases that are coming up is predominantly showing up in people ages 20 to, 20 to 39. And, but I don't think it's helpful to paint, you know, every, everybody with the same brush and to start blaming, uh, young people, dispro you know, disproportionately saying that they're the cause of a lot of this because a lot of young people that I'm talking to are also the same people who are the most precariously kind of employed, the most precariously housed. They got to make their payments. They got to make, pay their bills. CERB is running out. The EI is running out. It's sure easy for me to sit and pass judgment on somebody. Uh, you know, that I still want to be at the grocery store bagging my groceries and say, oh, yeah, you're the reason why uh, why this pandemic is, is uh, happening in the second phase. We've got to work together. And um, and I think it's not helpful when we blame each other or look for scapegoats and stuff. We just got to look to how we can uh, lift each other up and help each other out. And uh, that's the only way we're going to 
we're going to get through this, right? That's such a nuanced perspective by because I have seen even the news saying that it is predominantly young people and it's them partying. And if we just shut down all the bars, and obviously we've kind of done that. But the approach, you're right, is it's a mistake just to blame people outright and not consider who are the people doing these types of jobs, these more vulnerable frontline jobs, and that is predominantly young people. And so that there are different levels of analysis that you can use. And that's where it becomes important not to pretend that we have facts when we're, we have an understanding of something and it's, it can be more complex than we realize. Does that come up a lot in how much have you learned as a city council member? Because that probably happens all the time when you are told that something's going on and you have a, a mindset before the meeting starts and then you hear all this ton of new information and maybe your opinion changes throughout. What is that process like? Because you have access to information that most people never interact with. So what is that like for you? I mean, it's all part of the, the decision-making process. It's all part of being a responsible decision-maker is to to keep your mind open to uh, to new um to new information and, and in some cases opposing ideas, um, as long as they're factual and, uh, fact-based and, uh, and I think, um, you know, if you just shut yourself down to only one, uh, one perspective, I don't think it's helpful and I don't think it results in great, um, in, in great decisions being made. Um, in this case, it just, it seems, um, odd to me that, you know, the narrative early on in the first phase of the pandemic, nobody blamed the 57 to, to, uh, 80 year old, um, people who were predominantly showing up as the positive cases and, and the demographic that was predominantly being affected. But now that the demographic has changed, there seems to be more of an, like you said, a nuance, more of a, more of a implication that it's because of irresponsible behavior only that this demographic is now the ones that are, uh, are, are largely showing up as the positive cases. So I, I guess that's, it was just an observation. It's certainly not unique to me. I've seen other people make that observation as well. So we just have to be careful, I think, across the board, like in assigning blame, you know, it's not very motivating to me to just, uh, to be to be kind of have a finger sh shaken at me and and told that you know I'm the responsible for um, for the causing the second wave of this pandemic I would fit into that that demographic I think I've tried to be very responsible and as have a lot of the people that are around my age group and younger have also tried to be extremely extremely responsible and are modeling very responsible behavior. And I think it's discouraging if you just lump everybody into one, to one kind of category and say, oh, because the one guy in Victoria was kind of a, was kind of a moron and had a giant party. And then, you know, they caught him on the, the on the news and, and, uh, you know, made a big deal out of it that this, this must be all 20 to 39 year olds must all be the same as him, right? That is, that is one thing I wanted to ask you about because you do get to see a lot of stories written in media and news that might not feel like the truth. And I think that that is something that is coming out more and more is that it's not that they're being dishonest or unethical. It's just that they're 
they've got a slant to their story. And so as a politician, you obviously interact with that at certain points where a story is written in a certain way or maybe about a colleague. What is that like to see? Because I think that people are starting to wake up to the reality that this type of dialogue is way more useful in understanding complex problems than a very short news piece that hits bullet points that might have an ulterior motive. What has that been like? Mm -hmm. You're never going to hear me say, you know, fake news and that kind of thing, because I think that is the most overused, horrible uh, cliche uh, that's uh, out there right now. I think I got nothing but respect for uh, professional journalism and the role of the media is incredibly important. And it always will be the role of uh, an objective uh, media that does their research and takes their role seriously and holding us as politicians uh, or organizations accountable, incredibly important. I've never had an experience in um, the city of Chilliwack or I can almost, you know, I can actually say I've never had an experience as a politician in my time um, as a politician where I have um, gone back and reviewed uh, a news story or a media piece that I was involved in or got interviewed for, where I felt that um, the journalist that I, that I spoke to was being uh, biased or, uh, or uh, inventing things or, you know, nothing but uh, uh, professional and taking their job seriously. It's a hard job. The people that work in it, it's so, it's, uh, I imagine that in some days it's probably, it's probably pretty discouraging when uh, they feel like they're being uh, under attack all the time and discredited. And, and, and then people who have no um, background in, in journalism or research write a, write an opinion piece not based on fact and put it on, uh, on Facebook and, uh, and, and, um, it gets, you know, it gets more attention paid to it than, uh, than the, the, the hardworking journalists that, uh, work hard, uh, to, to bring objective news media to us. You know, I think in terms of this, um, like long form interview, like I think any, most, or I mean, not any, but most journalists, if they had the time and space, and, and money, <laughs> you know, to uh, conduct kind of long form, um, in depth, kind of get to know each other kind of, um, interviews like this. I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, any of them would turn down that opportunity. I, I, I think just with the constraints and the funding constraints and, uh, advertising budget shrinking and all the realities that media and then media is facing the pressures that they're under, they don't get this kind of same. Uh, opportunity, but they sh- probably sure love to have it, you know? So yeah, I, I try and, I mean, that's an important, um, an important piece of being a counselor too, is maintaining those relationships with, with, uh, with, uh, the media and with, uh, journalists both locally and, 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 um, on a provincial level. But yeah, I won't, you won't hear me say a bad thing about them. I, I, I get along real well with the, uh, with, uh, the, the news media in general. I've never, I've always felt that I've been given a fair shake and even when they've been critical, I've, I've, uh, I probably deserved it. Yeah. That's well, that's a very good outlook. And as, as I've said, a very well-rounded and more holistic viewpoint. The other part that I wanted to touch on was just what's going on with, um, the opioid epidemic right now. And all of that's kind of coming out via the pandemic and all of this. And so what has, what has, what have you seen and what are some of the developments that you're seeing occurring um, in terms of addressing it? 
Yeah, I think there was some big funding announcements actually this week uh, in terms from the ministry uh, around providing some additional supports to uh, for people who are struggling with opioid addiction. Incredibly tragic. And, um, you know, again, Chilliwack is not immune from uh, from uh, being a part of this uh, the, this uh, epidemic. Um, there are many people in Chilliwack who who are kind of in the throes of uh, opioid addiction and who find themselves, uh, you know, um, without uh, perhaps uh, the access to the services that they need to to get help. And I think, um, you know, while we have been, you know, slowly <laughs> um, uh, kind of building more services uh, in concert with the, the provincial government, um, I think it's it's it will never be fast enough to kind of address this issue. And uh, I think there's an, uh, an incredibly interesting thing that's happening both down in the States and up here in Canada where some of the uh, some of the drug manufacturers and some of the people who are involved in the overprescription of uh, opioids and some of the root causes of this epi- of this uh, epidemic are being called to account and being held responsible because yeah it's destroying it's destroying people's lives i've lost we've you know both my uh, Sheila and i have lost friends to uh, to uh, opioid uh, overdoses I think um, perhaps with the the COVID, um, just with the COVID-19 pandemic is that, you know, people had to shift gears or the government had to shift some gears and pull some different levers to uh, respond. Hopefully uh, there's some refocus and some time to refocus on um, what we need to do to to make sure that we don't lose um, any more people because those are, those are family members, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, uncles, aunts, you know, and, um, and I think, uh, the more we, um, you know, if we, if we don't keep talking about it and, um, then we, there's a big risk that, you know, those people that have, uh, passed away, um, they do so, uh, you know, they do so in vain and we don't, uh, and we don't, um, make changes you know it's uh, it's very it's it would be very discouraging so yeah that's I, the old saying right it's yeah. where you die twice the once when you actually die and the second is when you're never mentioned again yeah, somebody stops saying your name yeah yeah and the other part i wanted to ask about because it is about chilliwack is we obviously have a culture that other people see and i've heard of our culture and i just wanted your perspective on it because i'm not a huge fan of how people kind of disparage that we're a Bible Belt community and they kind of say it in a derogatory term. And and that bothers me because as I've grown to understand religious values more, I I think that they do offer something. And I do think that people are legitimately religious for very good reasons and they carry their faith admirably and they contribute to the community. But we are advertised and talked about as a right-wing extreme community that is a Bible Belt. And so I just wanted your thoughts on it because it is something that mm-hmm. frustrates me and I'm sure that you've run into it when you go to other other communities. Is that something that's probably said about us? Have you ever had that arise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I mean, it's definitely something I've heard. And, you know, I just think it's, it's uh, 
it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful to people of faith. It's disrespectful to people who uh, may not uh, you know, choose to belong to any faith uh, group. And um, I think, uh, you know, we uh, <clears throat> we're stronger because of of our differences. That's that's a huge uh, cliche, but um, we're a strong community because um, we have uh, people of uh, multiple different faiths and people of no, you know, people of no faith or people who are maybe questioning, and um, and I think our ability to uh, accept uh, each other. Um, not because we're all alike, but because we're different and we offer different things. This is very important and what makes a good, diverse, um, strong community. And, um, and, uh, you know, I would never use that term, uh, uh, disparaging, you know, in a disparaging way. Um, uh, I know that, uh, churches and faith groups have played an extremely important role in the city of Chilliwack and continue to play an ex- extremely important role in the city of Chilliwack. Um, just as I know that uh, there are groups that are not um, not faith based that play uh, that play extremely important um, roles in the city of Chilliwack and challenging the city of Chilliwack and um, and making sure that we're uh, a place that supports diversity and equality and and um, the only part when um, I you know tend to stick my nose into it is when uh, any one of those groups starts to to trample down on the rights of, of another for their, uh, for their, uh, ability to again, realize that high quality of life and, and, um, and, um, uh, and freedom in the, in the city of Chilliwack. And so I tend to, um, not get involved until, uh, until people aren't respecting, uh, the, the, the human rights and diversity of others. And then that's when, uh, that's when I usually, say something. That's awesome. What are the issues right now that you're most concerned with through all of your roles? Things that jump out at you as important that maybe aren't being addressed or that just need more work? Probably this community building piece, right? It's easy to tear each other down. It's easy to, uh, you know, to believe the hype on uh, social media that we're, uh, you know, that everything is horrible all the time and that, uh, you know, um, the people are horrible and that, uh, crime is rampant and that, uh, things were way better back in the good old days. And I, I just think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to give into that kind of disparity if you let, if, if you let yourself. What is a little bit harder and a little bit more challenging and requires a little bit more time and effort is just going to your neighbor's house and knocking on the door and introducing yourself and, and, uh, and, and doing that across your neighborhood and then doing that to people that you meet on the street and, uh, I don't believe that you have to to be uh, that you don't have to be real with it. Like you have to accept that we have there are definitely challenges in the city of Chilliwack, and um, that we have to look at them in a, in a in a real way and to address them in a real way. But you know, I think that uh, you know far too often lately I've seen uh, just a lot of just just discouraging uh, kind of um, language around uh, the city and. I think it doesn't help for all the uh, many, many, many people who uh, put in a lot of time and effort to try and make the city a good place, right? And and I think um, this town, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I've traveled all over the world and different countries, and I'm always excited when I when I get to come home because I love this place, right? So it's it's my home, and it will be for the rest of my life. So 
Awesome. That's one area that I want to jump on to is because I am incredibly proud to be from this community. I planned to die and be buried here in this community. That's the kind of energy that I have for this community because I was raised here. I've experienced the toughest of times and I've experienced the best of times here. And so I'm just curious, you get to interact with a lot of people from here that I've never met. And so out of curiosity, have you ever had an interaction where the person has done something above and beyond? We had the murals go up. Is there anything where people kind of did something amazing and it maybe didn't get the publicity, it didn't get the story, it didn't have that energy behind it, but you got to see it because mm. you're in your position and you get to see the good in our community that maybe doesn't get front page news, not because it wasn't good, just because it didn't get the PR. Mm -hmm. There's so many examples of that. I hesitate to almost just pick just um, to, to to pick one or two, but there the thing I love about this place is that there's just a lot of people who quietly go about their business, um, trying to again just m make the place a, a, a better one day at a time, and uh, you know they're making those choices and those decisions throughout their day. Um, they're looking for opportunities to help, um, to build community, to help out, to support those that, that, uh, may be in need or need some help, need a, need a hand up. Um, we have, you know, I think we're one of the highest per capita cities in terms of, um, participation in community groups and uh, charitable groups and charitable organizations and charitable giving volunteerism is is quite high in the city of Chilliwack so those are those are like kind of the key metrics in terms of um uh community resiliency and uh, you know <laughs> there are, it's um it's I wish that um, we had the opportunity to to just constantly single out the people that uh, who do that who do that good work. I think some of them don't want to be singled out too. They're quite happy to go about their business. Um, yeah, the, the only one I can do. think of at this yeah. moment is Amber Price, who was just going through all of downtown and like painting and cleaning and scrubbing and yeah. doing all of that work. And it was just like on property that isn't hers, that yeah. she doesn't have to claim. And it's that kind of energy that makes me want to continue. And it's so motivational to know that people are doing it. Nobody's paying them to. Nobody's making them. It's that community pride yeah. that I really like about Chilliwack. And I was just curious to see if you get to see any that we don't get to see. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, definitely Amber's, uh, Amber's just, uh, she's a whirlwind of, uh, energy. So she, she does lots of good, uh, great community stuff. You mentioned the, the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, there's a whole team of people that work at the Chamber who have been, um, working hard even throughout the pandemic and stuff to support small businesses. There's been a whole bunch of groups that have kind of popped up, um, both online and in other places that have um, been focused on, you know, identifying if neighbors were in need and if people needed groceries and if people needed um, supplies and that kind of thing. They're supporting, um, providing that kind of stuff. There are some amazing people that work at um, all many different nonprofits in the city of Chilliwack. I, I just uh, interacted with uh, some who are, who are working in the youth services side at Chilliwack Community Services, and they're doing amazing work. 
I think the recent Naomi's ride for Ran is happening or was, I think maybe they, they postponed because of the smoke, but, uh, you know, there's just community groups and, and people who are out there supporting all the work that they do. And that's incredibly important. Yeah. There's just, it's a lot like when you just sit and, and think about it and reflect on it from time to time. And I think it's really important to do is uh there are a lot of people doing a lot of things and and um and it's discouraging to think that you know how hard they've worked and then you see one or two people go online and write a really uneducated disparaging comment about how horrible this place is and then it really discredits and discounts all the hard work that people are doing behind the scenes so yeah that is one thing that happens a lot with small businesses where you can have a complete misunderstanding and then all of a sudden you have this bad review that suggests you're not good at what you're doing and that does impact their business and ability to continue because it impacts the algorithm and everything so what are some of your favorite small businesses in the last interview on around chilliwack you mentioned chilies okay and we must really like chilies yeah they're I've, not paying me to say that either. What is your favorite thing to get there? Saying. Chili's? Yeah. I normally just tell Tina that it's Jason phoning and then she makes the, the it's uh it's a chicken, uh, it's like a ginger chicken stir fry. Yeah. And so, yeah, we actually got chilies for our wedding. So we had a whole bunch of, we actually got Shandar for our wedding and chilies for our, our wedding. So our wedding buffet was actually just uh, a combination of all our favorite foods That's in awesome. restaurants that we had in Chilliwack. So well, we if you can have any stuff, sway so. with um, Shandar, let me know, because I've been trying to yeah. get them onto the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. You're trying to get who, Gord? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, Gord, if you're listening, come on the podcast. It's <laughs> great. It's been a great experience. That's awesome. And what other places that do you enjoy? Do you... I try and make a point of, of shopping at all, as many small... Uh, medium, small and medium-sized businesses as I possibly can. Locally owned, independent... If you're in that category, chances are being through your doors. So uh, there's lots. And, uh, you know, for restaurants, uh, I mean, one of the, one of the, uh, the, the great byproducts of, of uh, being a city councillor is that uh, not on the taxpayer's dime, but on my own dime, I, uh, I often find myself at a restaurant eating lunch with people. So uh, I get to eat at all the restaurants in Chilliwack. And they're having a tough time now. So especially now, go out and uh, take the opportunity to find out who's doing curbside pickup or takeout and stuff like that. I know we've done quite a few. Yeah. Quite I, a few of those. It's I enjoy fantastic. Bubba's. Have you been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah? yeah, yeah. What, what have you tried from there? I like their chicken sandwich, whatever it is. It's made on garlic bread, which is just yeah, phenomenal. So it's not an Italian chicken club, no. Mm, that's I'm not gonna, the one I get. No, Mine's no. like the chicken okay. Okay. chicken garlic bread sandwich yeah, yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. All the good healthy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, talking, um, the one place that, you know what, I haven't been to in a long time was uh, Multipack, the Multipack Deli, which I've is never... multi- Multipack Foods, which is just behind, uh, um, just uh, kind of off of, I think it's off Victoria, kind of behind where the Paramount used to be. That is one of the and most popular uh, places yeah, in they, all of Chilliwack, and yeah, I've never been there. Great deli sandwiches, so it's, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And I haven't, I haven't uh, been there for quite a quite a long time. You know, the person to ask about um, food is probably Matt Hawkins because he's going around to all the around Chilliwack stuff. He's like, I think that's his full time job is just eating at restaurants. So. That sounds like a pretty good job. <laughs> Maybe you could sh- make a make a around Chilliwack uh, bigger than me 
uh, collaboration podcast. Where that is actually one of the plans. Go eat food. Hugo's Hugo's restaurant. Have you been there? I have. We uh, didn't sit in, but I did okay. go pick up some food, and it was absolutely phenomenal. I had one of their burritos and yeah. some of their nachos, and it was just phenomenal. Yeah, I generally when a new place opens up, I try and go and, and check it out. Have you can. been to the Ninth End Cafe? No, that, no. Okay, where's that? I, isn't that the one in the curling center? Oh, is it? Okay, think, maybe, so. yeah. It's the breakfast place because you, okay. you're, one of your favorite places is River's Edge. Oh, yeah, I like Rivers. Yeah, Rivers. I've never rivers. been. Okay, that's out in Yarrow. Yeah, that's yeah. great. James and his family, they do a wonderful job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's nice and close to my house, so I can just walk there. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Got a great patio. And then there's all sorts of, like, small business. Even just throughout the pandemic, I... It, it's been nice to shop at some of the smaller stores and stuff like that, whether it was, say, I was at, you know, Fortin's uh, Home Hardware is just, uh, I mean, they're obviously locally owned and whenever you, uh, I w- it was close, nice and close to, to me where I needed to get some stuff. And yeah, I think, you know, the bookman is always a good place to go and go downtown or you can go to the shoe store or go to Gord Ray's. You can go to all sorts of places downtown. Yeah, abso- absolutely. And so the only other thing that I wanted to move a little bit more into is you're a father now. And that happened yeah, pre- that pre- happened pretty recently. And a lot has changed and there's been a lot going on. But we haven't had an opportunity to hear from you and what that experience has been like of moving. You've been taking care of the city, in my opinion. And now mm-hmm. you have Cedar, which is an amazing name. And I'd like to find out how you came mm-hmm. up with that name. Mm-hmm. Um, but what has that been like? Yeah, it's been amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's wonderful. Uh, he's a really happy uh really happy uh go lucky baby and he uh he's uh yeah he's up until now knock on wood he's been really you know he hasn't been too hard on his parents so he's a good sleeper and uh just yeah he's a joy to be around so it's great and how did you come up with the name um sheila and i had a couple of names that we were thinking about and um we liked uh we liked uh, something that was going to be uh, kind of reflective of uh, our love of uh, nature and the outdoors and reflective of the, the place where we live. And, um, you know, there was some um, uh, kind of personal uh, connections with uh, family members and that kind of thing. And so it was, it seemed to, seemed to check all those boxes and, yeah, it's good. Some people, I think, I, th- I, I don't, I don't know because it's our only, our only child. But I think uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, stress goes into finding the right name. But you know, when we kind of first met him and looked at him, and you know, I think he was only a couple hours old, and we said, "No, I think he's a cedar." So, wow, that is so. That's got to be such a change, though, right? From just having a normal day-to-day life to moving into that position during a pandemic. What was that? What was that transition like of mm-hmm. also having to process how you're going to get to the grocery store and having a child that was so vulnerable during all of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we, I mean, that was very easy. We just stayed. I mean, uh, we didn't obviously bring him. We still don't bring him anywhere into, into uh, grocery stores or really uh, out to too many places unless we can kind of ensure that, uh, you know that again going back to uh, where our comfort level is and um and uh we uh 
Yeah, it, I mean, the silver lining on it was that uh, we both got to spend quite a bit of time at, at home and um, just really get to know him and and get to know what it was like to, to be a parent. And we're still learning, you know, every day what it's like to be parents. And yeah, I, I mean, uh, it's a lot of troubleshooting. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, is the baby tired? Is the baby, is he hungry? Is he just angry? Who knows? Yeah. Fortunately, he's not just ever just angry. He's usually just hungry. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, good. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's great. It's a joy. I, uh, um, uh, you know, parenthood was something that we weren't a hundred percent sure that we were ever gonna, that we were gonna be, uh, parents. And so when, when, uh, when he came along, it was, a, it was a real, it was a real great, uh, great thing. So. That's awesome. Yeah. What does the future hold for you now? Because it does sound like you're you're gearing up in that direction more than gearing up for another uh, another run or anything uh, like that. Yeah. Well, you know, all these things I always keep my cards pretty close to my chest on whether I'm going to run again. I said this before to people: like you'll know that when I'm done because I won't be having any fun anymore and stuff like that. But I also like it's my it's my belief that if I can. Honestly, if I can get myself elected in, in Chilliwack, I think most people can get themselves elected in the city of Chilliwack. So I, I, I think, you know, you, I firmly believe that, uh, there are many, 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 many other, other people out there who, uh, would do just as good of a job or better than, than I would. And, uh, so I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to just, uh, discourage other people from participating by being the guy that just uh, overstays his welcome. I believe that politicians have a best before date and uh, and uh, that they should uh, be cognizant of that. So if I feel like I still have some more to give and and can be of value to the to the city and the capacity of city councilor, then uh, then I'll probably uh, uh, take another shot at it. If I feel like uh, my time and energy could be uh, could be used in another in another venue or perhaps another uh, order of government, and uh, I might take a shot at that. But well, we'll here's see. a trap question for you. Sure. Um, hey, I thought we agreed not to do any. Of this I promise. Stuff. I promise you, it will it will not feel ahead. like that when I ask no, it. You go ahead. Um, so, in your last interview, public safety was a big concern of yours and one of the motivations for you to run again. So my question, as broad as it can be, is mm. how do you feel about public safety now? Do you feel it like it's met the or exceeded your expectations when you decided to run again? Do you feel like we've addressed that issue or do you feel like we still have yeah. a lot of work to do? No, I definitely feel like uh, there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, there's actually a survey that's out right now about uh, public perceptions around uh, around safety in the city of Chilliwack. But there's some really, really um, interesting work that's being done right now on an integrated community safety task force that's led by uh, by Bud Mercer. This is one of those examples of where I feel like uh, I can kind of take my foot off the gas pedal a little bit on this uh, issue because somebody like Bud, um, who has a whole host and a wealth of, of uh, experience and professional experience at the highest levels, can can uh, very easily step in and take on that uh, that role and do so in a in in probably a far more successful way than I can. I think it's also recognizing the strengths of your, of of the team, and I think in this case, um, for sure, Councillor Mercer is uh, is uh, a person who I think 
can handle that uh, public safety portfolio uh, in a really uh, in a really positive way. And I've you know I, I've still stayed involved in the public safety committee. Um, I know you interviewed uh, Anouk, and um, she was a huge part of uh, the committee uh, when I was involved in it, and I still am. But uh, I feel like it's evolving into, uh, you know, kind of creating a, a public safety mindset and a crime prevention mindset and a community safety mindset in the city of Chilliwack. And, and that involves, you know, not just RCMP, but it involves making sure that, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of advocacy work with the province around uh, the justice system and uh, the correctional system and around... Um, uh, alternatives to uh, incarceration around restorative justice around a whole bunch of a whole host of different important um, public safety type measures and so I think we're, we're, we're starting to have the ability in the city to shift a little a little bit away from being reactive like like we were having to be when I was the when I was the chair and when we we're adding more police officers and kind of restructuring you know kind of reacting to some some uh, crime rates that were starting to creep up and I think we're starting to see those trends level off and 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 actually in a lot of cases go down which is positive and uh, and we're able to take a little bit of a breath and now focus on prevention measures yeah so I don't think that we'll ever see Chilliwack municipal policing just because I do know mm. Mercer's background and I completely understand where he's coming from do you foresee more police officers coming on in the future just because of the growth of population? Yeah, I think it's important that you maintain a healthy police force. And um, I mean, uh, there are uh, ratios that are out there that um, are indicators of the police to population rate. And so with an increase in population, you you increase not just not just your police force, but you have to increase services across the board to help accommodate that and the services that are going to be required by the residents as the city grows. So I think, but it, I think it's also understanding that, you know, in some cases, the, some of the challenges that we're experiencing in the city of Chilliwack are not just, that may be related to criminal activity and crime. Um, the root causes are more to do with uh, um, healthcare and lack of mental health um, and healthcare resources. And, uh, and that perhaps uh, uh, an RCMP uh, first line, front line response by an RCMP officer is not going to be the most successful um, response to that. So um, it's also trying to advocate for additional um, outreach workers and um, mental health supports, uh, mental health workers, nurses, doctors, that kind of stuff. So, okay. So you have been a and your partner is is right is actually doing some work around identifying um, um, some of those resources in different communities. So I was really impressed by looking at some of that stuff, and I think it's really neat because it's kind of like. Um, like a one-page quick reference guide to supports that are out there. So I would highly encourage her to keep working on those because people are definitely paying attention. I think it's a very valuable resource. Well, I'm sure she would be humbled by that compliment. One of the things that she had noticed was that all of these resources exist, but they are on the ugliest piece of paper listed in point form, very small writing with phone numbers, and most of them are out of date. And that is not encouraging to someone who's looking for resources. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to be scrolling. Like people need it when they're scrolling Facebook. They don't need it when they're actually searching for it. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of her mindsets when she went into trying to create a resource 
resource guide of local resources was just to say, hey, people are going to find it on Facebook if I post it, but they're not going to find it if I create a document and put it on a website that nobody's ever going to go to. She wanted to create it. So it was designed for Facebook. So you can be scrolling and it does look visually appealing and put all those pieces together for people to use social media in a more positive light. Yeah, well, there you go. There's somebody that's doing some great community work uh, that deserves to be recognized. So, Well, that is very positive. So regardless of whether or not you run again and what regardless of your political future mm-hmm. you've been a musician you have been a politician you have run um and been the director of myriad and you've been involved in the chamber of commerce you have this amazing portfolio of work you've done and so that's where i'm curious as to what your future kind of holds regardless of whether or not you run again what are some interests that people might not realize that you're involved in or you enjoy or um, a business you hope to start one day or or any mm-hmm. of those types of things that are just normal Jason Lum things. Mm-hmm. Well, normal Jason Lum things. I first of all, thank you. For, it's very flattering that you think it's amazing. I, uh, I, I think, um, I think a lot of it is uh, probably more the, the better uh, better description is is uh, mediocre. I don't think it's it's uh, that amazing. Uh, there's I do uh, I do a lot of things. I, I would say at a mediocre level, you know, I wouldn't say, I, I would say amazing. That's not what I would use, but that's where I'm the humility flattered. comes in. Yeah, no, I'm flattered. It's, uh, I, um, yeah, I, 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 you know what? I'm not a hundred percent sure what the, the future holds. Um, I, uh, I love this job. I love, I love, I love the work that I get to do. I love the fact that I get to interact with a lot of different people and that, um, you know, one of my, uh, I would say, you know, one of the, one of the challenges that I have is, uh, is that I have a pretty short attention span sometimes. So I, I need to be, uh, challenged in different things, uh, to kind of hold my, hold my attention. And so it's, it's, it's very nice that, uh, you know, in this role, you get to do a lot of different things. No day is ever the same. And, um, but then I also, you know, as, uh, as my work kind of evolves, um, uh, professionally, um, I've, I've spent 20 years working in the IT industry and I'm looking for, you know, perhaps a little bit of change there to keep, keep it fresh. One of the questions I think you were, you had provided was, you know, what would you say to somebody who's been working in a job that they kind of, you know, they feel they, they don't feel too excited about anymore and, uh, they want to try something different and that's the thing, you know, try, try something different. You know, I think, um, you know, you're going to change careers um you know multiple times through throughout your uh throughout your life and uh and uh i think you know life is is too short to uh stay doing something that you uh that you can't stand and i know you know i don't want that to sound um i know that for for some people it's that's not just a simple easy choice to make here you have to keep the the bills paid and stuff like that but i also think that there are there are lots of opportunities that are out there if you go if you go looking for them and or you know try and create your own right like do 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 something like this right like you have to have something that um that drives you creatively and that uh that uh that you're passionate about and i think um you know we live in a time in the world where these kind of opportunities whether it's technology that's helping advance them these kind of opportunities are opening up before you'd have to be in like, you know, multi, multi thousand dollar, uh, uh, studio space to be able to do this. Now you've got the luxury of, uh, being able to kind of 
build this stuff and in your own, uh, in your own place and kind of create your own stuff, you know, and, and put it out to the world and, and, and see uh, how people react. And I think it's really important. Yeah. I, 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 I probably will go back to playing music and, and, um, and I'll probably, uh, just really enjoy being Cedar's dad <laughs> for the, for the next immediate future. I think, uh, well, not enjoy for the immediate future, but just for the immediate future, that's what I'm definitely focused on. Well, I have to say that when I was trying to save the Paramount with my friend Jake, your support meant everything. And even having you respond through email or through Facebook Messenger, those things spoke volumes to me. And they were one of the cornerstones, and I'm hoping to talk about that now, which is how much that that means to someone when I was in high school most of my professors were writing me off. I guess they're not teachers. Most of my teachers were writing me off and not thinking that I was going to go off and do anything like this. Most of my teachers had a pretty negative outlook on what my future looked like, and maybe I did too. And so being able to reach out to your city councilor and say, hey, can we save this building or what can we do? And having that person respond and treat you like a human being and not question whether or not I'm capable or smart or none of those emails came across. And so that is the kind of impact you had on me because you were and still are one of the role models for our community. You've done so much to build this up. You've been honest. You've led with integrity. And I just need you to recognize how much that that meant to me. And one of the reasons that this podcast exists is because it reflects exactly what I went through during that period of time. And those experiences were were shaping my character. And you were involved in that and your vote made all the difference because it did make me and Jake feel heard that somebody else, if it had been unanimous, it would have been very discouraging and there wouldn't have been a lot of hope. So that one vote made a lot of difference. Hmm. I really appreciate that. It, it's uh, it's very kind of you to say, you know, I think um, when I was, you know, um, receiving correspondence, whether it was on that issue or on other issues, you know, I try my my level best to kind of respond to people and I even even if I disagree with with them, they've taken the time out of their day to 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 write to me or ask me a question, and uh, and so I think that deserves uh, it deserves uh, a response. I think it's incredibly important for young people to feel heard by their not just feel heard by their politicians, but to be heard and to be acted um, to have their concerns acted upon. By the by, uh, the, their politicians, regardless if they uh, vote, it's that feeling of uh, disenfranchisement or the feeling of, of discouragement. If if um, if um, they don't get uh, uh, if they aren't heard by people who are in positions of of responsibility, that uh, tends to shape some of their uh, thinking uh, moving forward. So if we never if we just ignored you know, uh, young people have taken the time out of the day to, to write about something they're passionate about. How would I ever expect you to be interested in voting or becoming, uh, um, you know, uh, taking part in local government when, when you were, you know, after you're out of high school and you're able to vote? So I think it's, I think it's really important, but I don't think it's extraordinary. I think it's, uh, I think it's our duty, you know, to, to, to do that. But I, but I, I feel incredibly honored by you say you know saying uh, acknowledging that it was it was um, it was one of one of the things which i'm sure there were many um in your life that 
kind of uh, got you to the to the place where you're where you're going in the trajectory that you're on right now and it's, it's super impressive man I'm, I'm really it's awesome i'm really i'm really proud of you it's really neat i'm i'm happy to be on here it's uh it's a it's a great opportunity for me to get to for other people too to to get to know a little bit more about me than the than like you said the the, the small snippets and stuff that they they would hear. So. Well, it is incredibly honoring. I did not expect to have you on, as I've said, for like another year or two, where the podcast has 120 ep- episodes or something like that. Before I was in my mind expecting to have someone of your caliber and of your respect within the community on a platform of this of this size currently. So it's incredible honor to have you on and thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Anytime. And, uh, happy to, uh, happy to be here and I hope you continue on with it. And I hope, uh, I hope people uh, take the time to, to really go through and listen to some of the, the episodes and some of the ones that you're, uh, some of the ones that are coming up to you. Cause you've got, you've been able to get some really, really good, uh, high quality guests and some, do some really, really high quality interviews. I'm really, really impressed. Well, I am honored to have your approval, and we just did two and a half hours. Awesome. Awesome. It didn't even feel like it, so there you go.